Welcome to What Are You Bringing the Table? This is your girl Sylvia. She, her, and hers. What up? It's Tori. She, her, and hers. Welcome to episode 31 of season two. And we got a guest tonight. Back by popular demand. And I can't believe <laughs> it took this long for us to get you back. Mr. Damon right. Cognolati. Did I get it right? That's right. Yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Can we perfect, talk about perfect, where that perfect. name comes from? Well, let the uh, man know, let the man introduce himself. That like say, like, welcome. It is. It is Italian. It is Italian. As a matter of fact, it's funny because um, I was uh, uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, uh, from from one of my friends. She actually shared something with me talking about a New Orleans rapper, um, and this 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 his story kind of goes all the way back to like you know kind of the 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 afro rhythmic elements like in 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 hip hop so on and so forth that's unique to like new orleans rap mm-hmm. yeah. and um you know specifically like you know with the sound you know like the bounce right that, yeah, that, that yeah, kinda, yeah. it picks up on those right you know on those kind of rhythms right the cadences and the drums and it's it's kind of like a little bit of a cultural gumbo in terms of like where the where that 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 style of music kind of comes from and you know the interesting part about it was that it was talking about new orleans and that's really that's actually how cagnolati that's where it comes from oh, that's okay. how it actually comes on All on right. into me that's how i that's how y'all get this interesting little uh, okay. uh, pot of gumbo <laughs> well mr cagnolati aka the uh-huh. professor how you been yeah. tell everyone how you I'm been what you've been up to How's virtual oh, school man. for you as a professor? I mean, we're hearing all about it from everyone else. So tell us what it, how's it going? You know, virtual school, you know, distance learning, remote learning, remote education, right? Whatever the, the 20,000 words is that folks <laughs> want to actually use in order to describe it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's challenging. That's the thing. Um, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. I don't think it's an impossible challenge, but it's definitely a challenge um, that we have to, um, in a certain kind of way, we just got to actually meet it. I don't even, we can't really overcome it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we got to figure out some new ways on how to actually engage with our students. That's the challenge that's put forth before us, I think, as instructors. And so for me, you know, when you ask me how it's going, that's exactly what I think about. You know, it's challenging. So yeah. I'm curious about how it is that I can meet my students in different ways. And, and I try to figure that out almost, you know, kind of on a week to week basis. Um, I've done some things that I, I probably, if you asked me a year ago, you know, is this what you have to do in order to, you know, like, like stay connected with your students, right? Or, you know, would you ever, you know, what's the wildest thing that you ever do? I'll probably look at you like, I'm like, 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 like you're crazy. If you actually asked me or told me what it is that I'm doing now, I'm calling my students almost like every week 
actually every day, every single day I'm on the phone with a student. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making sure that I'm actually uh, uh, meeting them. Sometimes I, I'll even DM them on, on Instagram. I'm meeting them wherever they're at. Good. <laughs> yeah. You know? Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenge. And let me say that I think, I feel like I'm raising my own level. I'm raising my own bar as an instructor uh, on the practical side of what it is that we do. Yeah. Nice. How, how, I mean, oh, I was, we were talking about just doing virtual school for a lot of young people that have anxiety that this kind of works for them. And I've had online classes and I got to tell you, I love the online classes. You know, I enjoyed it because it, you know, you're more comfortable in your own space, you know, now you have to for sure be um, disciplined but you know, I I favor more long distance learning. That's just yeah. my. You favorite. know, I I think the difficulty from the instructor standpoint because uh, so one of my one of my side hustles is doing trainings, and I did a equity training a week or so ago, and had you know about thirty people in the training, and um, I think that the struggle with the online is when you do the breakout groups. Right. Like like Mm -hmm. if it were in person, we'd go, okay. I'd be like, okay, we're going to break ourselves into small groups. Here's your discussion questions. Talk about what your group and as the instructor, I can kind of, you know, work the room and listen to, you know, like like ear hustle on the table. And what are people talking about? You know, and then little side conversations that people have that you could bring into the room and, you know, talk more about it. And that that is a difficult thing for instructing is you don't get that because everybody has to be on mute. So and, you know. Maybe people are chatting back and forth privately, but you don't know what they're talking about. Um, and I think that for me, they're talking about where they're going to go to lunch, yeah, That's yeah. What... <laughs> or they're talking about, can you believe this bitch? <laughs> they're talking. Can you about, believe she just said that? Podcast. <laughs> what kind of shirt is she wearing? What is she doing? Um, you think they're gonna notice if I turn my camera off? Like right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the hard part, right? Like what you're saying is, how do you teach? in a completely different way than what you would teach before. Because as a student, yeah, online I think can be helpful because you can oh, get you can get that. to it when you need it. You know, when yeah. you need to, you can make it from your time, you know, watch the recording, call it good. But for me as an instructor, and I think even for a student, I would, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I probably want a hybrid or something of it, you know, take one or two online and one in, because there is that dynamic in person that you don't get online. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, um, and this wasn't like one of those, it's not a choice, right? That's the other thing I think is, is the hard thing is that nobody chose this option. And therefore, right. like you got students that are not feeling connected. And I was going to ask how, how are your students doing? Right. Like, how, yeah, I no, mean, that's a good question. They're, they're struggling. I'm not even going to lie. They're struggling. And, and, you know, there are days where I'm struggling too as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and not to, not to kind of equate the struggles, but really more so to kind of highlight the commonality and, 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 and just the sense of, you know, being on this kind of long, lonely road, right. And not mm-hmm. necessarily being so lonely. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a struggle for my students. You know, I, I actually have had them do a, um, an assignment where they took and um, recorded just like a little small short vlog, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, had them upload it, you know, onto our uh, our course management site. <clears throat> and I just sat down and I just watched them like just one night. I just watched them and just took notes. That's all I did. I just took notes. 
they're struggling from everything from lack of motivation, mm-hmm. like the will, the, the, the uphill, the uphill battle that school was right initially just kind of before COVID mm-hmm. <clears throat> has transformed into an uphill battle or rather an uphill ice skate. Mm. That's what it's literally turned mm-hmm. into for them. Mm-hmm. So they really like where it was difficult for them before to like, just kind of, you know, just barely show up. Like they needed, you know, like a little bit of extra motivation or something like that, just to kind of get them on in there. But once they're in there, they're good. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, well, no, I'm right here. And my bed is also here too. Mm-hmm. And my covers are here too. And they're very warm. And you know what? <laughs> I kind of don't even really want to get out of bed today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For you know, real. Yeah. For yeah. For adults, that's okay. We can kind of, we, some of us, right? And, you know, and sometimes, and, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm putting myself out there now, you know, sometimes it's Bring little bit, it. you know. Speak the truth. It's real. It's real, my friend. It is real. Same here. My, my, my office is five steps away from my bedroom, vice versa. So there's some mornings I'm like, I can't even get on that stupid thing. You know, yeah. right, right. You know, it's, I it's mean, it is an effort for me. Like I was always telling Tori, oh, I wish I could do teleworking, teleworking. Right. Mm. Then this COVID thing hit. And then it was like I had to go through the whole grieving process, you know, where I'm like, ooh, in denial. And then I'm depressed because I'm like, geez, Louise, like, give me a break. My routine is off. Everything's off. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the wear and tear of doing things differently, trying to wrap your brain around things, thinking you can't do something because you're so used to doing it one way. And it's just like, it's impossible. Like a little kid, like, you know, you're teaching them how to tie their shoe and like, I can't. That's how I kind of felt. Like I can't do my job, you know? And then going through another process of, okay, I'm, I, all right, it's not so bad to now just going, feeling like I'm going back to, oh my God, when is this going to be over? Yeah. I think yeah. it's like that roller coaster of despair, right? Like yeah. you, you, you get in that despair and you're just like, oh man. And then you kind of, okay, get used to it. And then it comes back down. And I mean, for yeah, me, that's yeah. what it's feel like is this ups and, because, you know, I mean, working from home, was an option during before COVID for me. Like I could say, yeah, you know, today I'm going to, I'm going to work from home, you know, cause I just don't want to deal with commute or whatever. But then when you're forced to do it and it's no longer an option. And I was thinking the other day too, the other thing that you miss out was the only time I see my coworkers is for a meeting or for a training or for, you know, business. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you go to work, you have those little social moments, right? Hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Oh, Hey, let's go get lunch. And you, you mm-hmm. get to know them a little bit differently. And now we don't do that. Right. It's like, I and see, not even I see them like this. That's it. Coworkers. Yeah. We can't, it's with everybody. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's the barista at the coffee place. It's mm-hmm. the place you go get lunch regularly. Like all of those weird little, you know, bite-sized social moments that, you know, I, I mean, They're actually, gone. like I used to bitch about, like, oh, I hate small talk with people. Now I'm like, yeah. oh, I just yeah, want to talk to somebody. Who's having the party? <laughs> talk about it, right? Like, yo, I get an invitation somewhere, and it's like, yo, I got to. Uh, I'm not risking oh, COVID. No, negative this one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the, those little things that we used to actually kind of, you know, trudge about are yeah. now the things that we miss the most and that we cherish oh, the most. Yeah. yeah and I would say sure. essentially, 
y'all just actually broke down exactly how it is for my students now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, to be, to be a, a person, you know, um, whether it's a young person in, in college right now, or, you know, non trad student, whatever, to just have this sense of why am I doing this? Like what's, what's the mm -hmm, purpose yeah. in doing this right now with everything that's going on? Like that, again, that despair of, will this even matter in, you know, four months from now? Um, will this yeah. even matter on November 4th? Because, you know, who knows what's going to happen on November 3rd. We want, we may not even mm -hmm. have a freaking, uh, a, you know, result on November 4th. Right. So that this, this long-term yeah. despair with no end, so I could we see know. like a young college student being like, why should, why should I get up and go sit in that class virtually when right. who knows what's going to happen after the all The civil war is coming. Right. right. Like, like mm -hmm. for real, Absolutely. like, you know, yeah. and, and it's, being it's, that it's, level of you know, brain development, you know, all the things that are happening anyway during that time. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. They have so much going on, you know, just, just in terms of, with, just without COVID mm -hmm. and without the situation of distance education and distance learning, mm -hmm. right. Being, being in a sense forced, right. To, to go online um, without having all of those added pressures, they're already going through stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, yeah. did you all, I mean, I don't know if you had talked about it, but did you all see um, a drop in, in enrollment this, this fall? Like we people like it. literally saying like, I ain't even going to bother right now. No. So, you know, we actually had, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure really what the numbers are specifically, but I haven't heard anything about us having a drop in enrollment. Mm -hmm. Let me say mm -hmm. that. So I imagine that it has to be around about the same. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, if there is like a drop, it's probably like, like really slight. Okay. I was just, I, I was just wondering that, you know, because I could see, you know, I could see students being like, well, you know, I'll, I'll go back when, when classes are open again, you know, or, mm -hmm. or whatever. So, um, that's good to hear, I guess. That's good to hear for both yeah. the colleges and for, you know, students. Um, because well, we all well, know that's what pays well, the bills. Wrong, <laughs> yeah. My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Don't, don't get me wrong though. That That's just at my school. So at, at other schools, it might actually be a little bit of a different scenario. Like I could say, for example, that in this program that I'm actually in, there was definitely a slight drop. Like there were a few students who ended up actually choosing not to go mm. and attend classes or the program this semester. So it's definitely, mm -hmm. is definitely out there. I'm just not sure exactly where. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it will be interesting to see on a, you know, like a, 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 not global scale, but, you know, United States scale with in the difference between like uh, junior college, universities, what the enrollment was and, and that. I know, you know, here in Portland, they're trying to stay, say, you know, Portland State had a drop in enrollment. And although that there's always still some like suspicion on whether that's true or not, you know, to justify their cuts, <laughs> um, you know, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I, I'm, you know, curious, too, because a lot of kids a lot of young young kids want to go away to college and that's part of their you know their thing and then when you can't do that um or you don't have housing where you're at so well let's be for real you know? i mean downtown portland right now at night is you know it's a war zone right now so maybe parents are like hell no you ain't going to portland state <laughs> I mean, it's a little chaotic. Let's not let's not too yeah. so they, they talk it's a little chaotic. 
a little chaotic windows. right now. It's a little chaotic. I'd be like, uh, yeah, it's a little bit out it. of con- little bit of chaos. Not a Go lot. Somewhere else. Yeah, no. Cali. I could see parents being like, "No, you ain't going to Portland." <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah right. <laughs> For show. Uh, yeah. so we ready to get into some content? Yeah, let's start with some stories. Mm-hmm. What you got? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I for sure want to talk about that um, Ice Cube's contract for uh, contract with Black Americans. That mm-hmm. for sure. But I'll bring up a not unless Damon, you have a story. Do you have a story you wanted to share? No, you hey. can say no. no. I, if no. you're like, hey, Sylvie, you did you put me on the spot. No, <laughs> I, I'll just take your turn. I got lots of stories. <laughs> Not well, yeah, you know, I, 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 so I don't have a story right now, but I can find one for sure. I'm sure you got um, some you'd love like, to talk about, topic wise. Well, let's yes, yeah, do this one. Yeah, as a matter okay. of fact, let's do this I, one. I, this is down your alley here, Mr. Damon Cagnolati. White male professor allegedly trolled Twitter as minority female to post racist, sexist screeds report says a report. A chemistry professor's social media experiment appear now see they put experiment mm-hmm. appears uh-huh. to have blown up in his face. The unidentified white male who teaches at the University of New Hampshire is ac- is accused of posing on Twitter as a woman of color to post sexist, transphobic and racist screeds while attacking those supporting progressive causes reported the Associated Press. Although the university has identified the alleged culprit, a college spokesman claimed that the man is on leave and not in the classrooms. We are deeply troubled by what we've learned so far and immediately launched an investigation, said university spokeswoman Erica Manns. Chemistry chairman Glenn Miller reportedly sent an email to other members of the department acknowledging that the professor had set up a bogus Twitter account to post tweets that were deeply offensive, according to an anonymous source. The white male professor at the University of New Hampshire allegedly trolled Twitter. Yeah, making all kinds of... Okay. So, wait. So, let me... me, The white instructor got on Twitter portraying himself as a female of color. Yes. So that he post- could post all sorts of uh, transphobic and... Whoa. And racist. Whoa. And, and see, and what I'm hating is now he's claiming it was just an experiment. An experiment. An experiment. Is uh, he a, a psychologist or a sociologist? Yeah, like, could, could he cite... What, what, what research was like, he doing? Do- yeah. You're a chemistry teacher. Him. I'd have to ask him what was his methodology. <laughs> I, I don't think he would come up. I think he would come up with something, but it wouldn't make any sense. Just like the buffoon I mean, in office. We don't have to make sense anymore now, Damon. This is true. This is these are now now so these well, okay. So if that's true, if that's true, then is that an alternative fact? No. <laughs> I'm sure or fake news. <laughs> Is that fake news now? (laughs) If that's true, is that fake news now? That's what I mean. Like, like the very notion of what we think about, you know, to be truth, yeah, now has to kind of sort of. I mean, according to this new, I guess, 
epoch of truth. I can't even really dignify it, not even like fantastically enough by, by saying this new uh, epoch that we actually live in. This is, this is wrong in the two left shoes, as my grandfather would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, right about it's it. Nothing. <laughs> you know? And yet and people that- are falling for it. Like, well, I don't want to say people, because I think that's, you know, the media's, you know, giving us just all these crazy loonies. Really. Oh, no, folks are falling for it. Folks are falling for it. So folks are falling for it. But you always have those folks because otherwise we wouldn't have had Jim That's Jones, right. you know, right. we wouldn't right. have had the hail boppers drinking right. their juice to go catch the hail bop, <laughs> you know. Yep. We wouldn't have these cults. Yep. So you will always have people falling for that. But I I want to say that there's people like us, which are not unhinged, breathing through these you know, through these times, keeping yeah. our cool, trying to maintain in what appears to be crazy times where you can get yeah. this white professor who thinks it's okay to set up a fake account as a woman of color and start spewing hateful things. Like somehow, because I'm a woman of color, I can be spewing hateful things. Yeah, like if you and wanted I, to I be anonymous, asked. just create an anonymous account. Like, like just create a just create an anonymous Twitter account and go spew yeah. what you're thinking. Like, why do why did he have to make it a woman of color? Like, what was the what was the purpose behind that? You know, just get on there, and make your own well, fake account. Say well, what you, you know want to say. In a in a lot of ways, that actually speaks to a phenomenon that's been that's been in existence specifically around like black women's bodies for quite some time in American popular culture, right? This kind of the, the, the politics of desirability or really the economy mm-hmm. of desirability, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, ever since, you know, go as far back as like, you know, hot, not Venus, right? Uh, in the, during the slave trade, right? You know, this here was a woman who was put on display, right? Specifically and primarily, almost exclusively taken paraded all around the entire world, the known world at that time, which just quite simply included like Western Europe, right? And then, you know, those countries that were associated with the triangle trade. She was paraded all around Europe and North America just to be put on display for her butt. Mm. And it her this image actually kind of fit into a narrative uh, a, a very old racist narrative about that that worked to justify slavery as the proper condition under which black folks right not as because they're not humans right mm-hmm. so if they're not humans then what are they good for right what's their purpose right it's slavery this was the logic that was actually utilized in order to kind of further justify slavery at least within a popular cultural sense right mm-hmm. or in a mythological sense. Mm-hmm. And that's actually part of the, I think what, what lies at the root of even like what, <laughs> what this brother is actually doing right here, you know, a white man who actually uh, takes on the avatar, right. Who, 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 who's fishing online, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as a black woman, you know, <clears throat> that's a, so when we start talking about like say digital racism, mm-hmm. right. Or like kind of racism 3.0, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, what that looks like now, it's here is like kind of a prime example, but we can't also exclude the fact that he's also coming straight out of academia. Right. Yeah. Let's not right. slide that off to right. the side. Yes. Right. Because that's actually part of the problem. Yes. Right. See, what this brother actually represents for me, 
this is the first time I've actually heard of it right here and now, but you know, it doesn't surprise me and it's not new. And I mean, like in recent history, this brother actually represents just quite simply the flip, the the flip side, right? At least like within a political context, right? The flip mm-hmm. side, the underside of what folks like Jessica Krug and also Rachel Dolezal were were, were portraying, right? These here are yeah. two white women who actually yep. adopt, right. right, and take on who who appropriate, right? Uh, yeah. This 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 kind of black female identity, right? This mm-hmm. this black womanhood, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and although they were doing it. Um, you know, quote unquote, right, according to them and their reason and the rationale, right, in order to further advance the causes, right, of black liberation. Yeah. I think Brother definitely wasn't trying to do that. He was working in the opposite direction yeah. of the political spectrum. So right. he right. just represents the political underside for that, of, of, of a long history, right, of, 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 of how fascinated the nation actually is, right, with the nation's consciousness. There's this fascination with objectifying and owning and possessing, even consuming, right, black women. In yeah. their body, yeah. right, but not their whole self, only pieces and portions. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's a, a, an excellent point, and I think like you're saying too is that that is just one drop in academia that exists throughout institutions, whether it's a junior college institution, institution Ivy League, like wherever you're, mm-hmm. it, it's exists the the liberalists of liberal art college, like there's that that vein within academia that I feel like sometimes gets a pass because there, there's oh, this yeah. thing that where people will, well, I need to have my academic liberties and freedom to be able academic to be, freedom. you know, my, you know, and I know um, there's a struggle within a lot of schools of, uh, well, like for example, the school of social work here uh, is, has struggled and continues to struggle with, um, diversify in the curriculum because there's literally professors that are resistant to it because that will impede on their academic freedom to teach. And it doesn't, there's nothing in state laws that actually like, like from the, from the CFT to, to, to the AFT, not in state or federal uh, um, proposals or statements or stances, right. That these national teachers associations actually take even like fact, right. The faculty association for California community colleges, and there's nothing in academic, there's nothing that covers that in academic freedom. As a matter of fact, you'll find statements in those proposals or in those uh, larger pieces that work in the opposite direction of the argument that they're trying to make. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with academic freedom, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. Academic freedom um, is a principle. It's a philosophy. Uh, it's not uh, necessarily a policy uh, in the strict sense, as we would say, like, uh, you know, say like affirmative action once was, right? right. Um, academic freedom is actually a philosophy that's adopted by, uh, in most cases, in hi- institutions of higher education, so, you know, colleges and universities, by their academic senate, <clears throat> which is like their kind of governing body, right, that, that, that attends to all issues, matters, and concerns um, you know, a faculty across the campus, right. Mm-hmm. In a variety, at a variety of different levels. Um, so basically right there, that's their representation, right. The representative leaders mm-hmm. there, those senates will take a stance on an ideological stance on what it is, what's, what's the purview or what's the terrain, right. That, that the instructors can kind of move about how freely can they move 
within this terrain of ideas that we have here at X university or X college. And that's essentially what academic freedom is a statement on. It's a statement that actually kind of governs the terrain upon which uh, instructors or faculty can actually move ideologically. Um, so, uh, you know, what this, and I guess for me, I'm, I get really frustrated when, you know, you see stuff like stories like this and like yeah. your Rachel Dizelles and that other, I can't remember that other lady, Jessica the Jewish Cruz. lady. Yeah. Um, yeah. is she the Jewish lady? Is she, she is. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause we talked about her too. Um, we, uh, we did a story on yeah. that, but here's the thing is like, um, Rachel was grilled over the coals. Uh, I don't know about this Jessica. Uh, you know, she her story came out. I didn't hear yeah. that they grilled her, rained her over the coals. I mean, I'm hearing she had some fallout with her friends. But I don't think that the school has fired her. I don't know. I don't, you know, uh, here in this story is basically saying they put the dude on admin leave. Um, mm-hmm. And that... And apparently he was putting out racist things when people would respond back, he would then throw out, I'm a woman of color. So, you know, use out mm. the women of color card. So it must not be true. This racism stuff. Cause I'm a woman of color and I never experienced, you know, mm. right. And yeah. doing some other offensive stuff, but it says, you know, then it says, I wish, you know, the, the science, the head chairman of the science department, I wish to give him an opportunity to repair the damage and move forward difficult as that may be. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a student. If I'm a student and I'm in your class, I already know what you think about me as a female and as a woman of color. What can you say to me to repair that damage? Exactly. There's nothing you can say because you did (laughs) it covertly and overtly at the same time. Well, and I think yeah. about I think I think about yes, um, intentionally. I think about how we've talked about in the past, like uh, with uh, police that you find out, you know, are dirty cops that uh, or right. prosecutors that are dirty prosecutors, and how, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. everything prior to that needs to be null and void, it's tainted because lack of credibility. So I think of any student of color of this guy, if there were any, right? If any, but any made it through his classes, right? that maybe didn't get a grade that they thought they should have or whatever <laughs> negative thing happened, right? Like, I feel like every everybody should be, go me, back, yeah, everybody yeah. gets A's. Just everybody's yep. GPA yep. is switched up. Everybody gets an A from that class because you can't trust that he was grading uh, fairly based on this. Yeah. Like, he showed his ass as a racist, and therefore any person of color now gets an A in all the any courses they've ever taken with him, and I don't think he should be teaching. I I mean, yes, should he be able to learn a lesson and grow? And yes, but not at the expense of students, not at the expense of right. the public dollar that funds that uh, university. Hell no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, sure. And you know, and you can't really guarantee that he didn't. That he, you can't even. Uh, begin to go back and trace whether or not he created a toxic learning environment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, unless you, unless you were actually right. So, so all of those grades there are like, are, are, are in a sense, right. The, 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 the precondition for those grades, right. I, I would, Oh yeah. Heck yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. I would definitely, uh, I would go back and challenge those grades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially if I had him as my professor, because you know, if, if he, 
it's as a student, I felt at any point in time, he created a toxic learning environment. And I have that as, as, as my, my kind of background, my resident, my, my, uh, my, my evidence, right. I can make, there's a, there's a case that could be made for, you know, getting a grade change right there, a successful grade change that all because or of refund that me my dollars or refund me my money. Yeah. Run right. me my money back. That's cool. That's better. I'll take, yeah. you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go back and take the class at another school, but yeah. like, let me get my oh, money no. or a no, grade. I, I would say, and then both. Give me, give me my money and give me refund and an A. <laughs> give me both. Yeah, reparations. I want my reparations. That's but that's a good point. Yeah, is how many times maybe a student had complained or students had complained about him, and it was like, no, no, not believe. I mean, that's right. that's the story of people of color, right, in the workplace and, and school especially and life. To announce who it is. Yeah, that's the other thing. Man, I'm like, absolutely not. Your name needs to be exposed because you shouldn't have to be hired anywhere else. You should not be able to get a job in this field of working with young people anymore. Right. Yeah. Go push a broom somewhere. You know, I think about it like this, right? So there's a kind of case for a parallel argument to be made in particular around or or when we're talking about like say nurses, right? So like when nurses actually violate a protocol or mm-hmm. so like that, right? And and they're on the job, they get fired and I'm not sure if they could actually get rehired again i don't know the specifics surrounding like the the, the politics of the of the entry and the and the, and the exit of, of uh, yeah of nursing, i mean t- typically they- it's it's the board right the nursing board it's the same with social work right so we have a board a licensing board and if something goes to the board and it's founded there is some sort of thing on your file Sanction. now some some it could be you have to get more training and be under supervision for a period of time and then you can get cleared. Some are like restricted license. Some are like license mm-hmm. completely taken away. Uh, mm-hmm. Some sometimes it's like the person will uh, uh, relinquish their license. Like say, okay, I know I done wrong here. You can have my license back. So yeah. I know it's it's very similar um, with nursing and and. But the problem is, and here's the problem. And I was just talking to someone about this the other day about. And I'm just going to speak with social work licensing. It's all very similar, right? You got to go through a process and get licensed. The problem is these boards, these licensing boards, they don't have the staffing to investigate stuff. They don't have the time. They don't have the infrastructure. And so a lot of times, you know, complaints get get submitted and they they do their due process. But really, there's not a lot of teeth to it. Right. Like they Mm. can do Mm. like I said, they can require someone to go get extra training in a certain area. And I was the conversation I was having with someone was um, so. The school, the National Association of Social Workers, it's like their 60th year anniversary or something. And um, recently on their Facebook page, they put one of their ethics, which is um, the social justice justice ethic, which we're ethically responsible to uh, speak out against discrimination and um, racism and all these things. Right. And so they put that, you know, on there. And oh my god the comments from social workers well i can't be conservative and be a social worker and they're impeding on my ability to have my political and you know the back and forth was 
nobody's saying you can't be conservative politically, but when the conservative politician that's currently in office has blatantly violated rights that are against our code of ethics, then you're not being a social worker. So you could choose to be a conservative Trump follower and not a social worker, or you can just be a social worker and uphold your ethics. And so I was saying to the guy I was talking to, I said, wouldn't it be interesting if we did the same kind of reporting when we found racist social workers as we do with social workers that, you know, sleep with their clients. Cause that's a, that's the most reported thing mm. to the, the, yeah. the license board is, is, is fucking your client, right? Like <laughs> that's the one thing yeah. that gets most social workers in trouble. But what if we started reporting people more often for not following that code of ethics and he was like, whoa, like it blew him away. He was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I said, I don't know. I mean, I just had this thought the other day. I was like, what if we actually started doing that? What if when I saw someone posting on this, you know, forum, talking racist shit, I found out where they work, report them to the, their, their yeah, state like, licensing board yeah. and screenshot yeah. and everything. So I think it's, we I mean, I to. think it's something that has to be talked about in, in my circle of social work anyway, and other licensing, whether it be nursing, doctor, what have you, you know? No, it definitely needs to be talked about, especially within education, because one of the often like, like swept under the rug. So, so I don't even, I, I, sometimes I like to use the metaphor of swept under the rug. Other times I like to use the metaphor of Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Freddy Krueger is probably the, the, the better metaphor to use here in this particular case when we're talking about cases or instances of intellectual justice or intellectual injustice, right? Systemic intellectual injustice uh, that's particularly articulated across racial lines, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and when we add another layer of like kind of context or history, looking at how long, right, that practice there has been instantiated, um, then we actually end up building out a case for institutionalized racism in education mm -hmm. <laughs> right mm -hmm. so what's interesting about that is is you know racism in education is like freddy krueger right it's the it's the monster that actually you know that 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 the 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 previous generation tried to you know kind of like you know quell and you know keep locked up and you know try to repress not oppress mm -hmm. right not right. depress right. but mm -hmm. repress yeah. right so you tried to stuff him away mm -hmm right into this very small nick and cranny in such a way that you know he ends up now emerging just without even whether or not you're conscious mm -hmm. right he ends up infiltrating the very kind of you know theater right of 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 the psychic archetypes right of of our dreams mm -hmm. he ends up kind of infiltrating right this is kind of a metaphor for just racism but specifically white supremacy and how it functions within education it's something that's so deeply embedded that it's not you don't have to be conscious in order to let the monster out you know right. what i'm saying it's something that you could do while you're sitting up here teaching a lesson on killer mike <laughs> you know what i mean yeah uh, or something that you could do after you know you 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 teach a lesson on killer mike right you know like i've i've it's so interesting to actually understand how racism functions within the context of academia and education and to look to see the kind of impact that it actually has on really producing, this is an old school concept, but I, I, I like it because it actually works really well. Um, the victims of white supremacy. Mm. Victims of white supremacy is actually a term, right, that um, 
a scholar by the name of Carter G. Woodson actually utilizes in his Miseducation of the Negro in order to talk about how one can unlearn or undevelop uh, uh, white supremacy, right, as mm-hmm. a social construct. He's actually arguing for uh, rebuilding, rethinking education from an Afrocentric lens and from an Afrocentric perspective as a way to unlearn white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Because you're talking about a lens shift, right, with education, that's that's precisely what's required in order to unlearn, right, the current right. lens or in order to let go of, in order to disarticulate, right, the current lens that covers the way that you actually view the world. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what um, I, I think needs, in a certain kind of way, what needs to happen. I think that's kind of what we would be getting at if we actually were to take what, what, what you were actually suggesting to Lori about, um, you know, social workers, and 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 reporting, you know, the instances of racism as much as you actually do, right? The instances of, you know, kind of a uh, 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 behavior, the inappropriate touching of <laughs> yeah. clients. Yeah, no, I mean, it it, yeah, it, yeah. it 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 just, I don't know, it struck me. And I mean, I'm going to continue the conversation with like my other social worker friends and and just in general because, um, you know, one of the big things that also happens within the field is, um working with race racist clients right so we have this obligation Mm -hmm. to serve and do no harm and and there's this uh dilemma around if you're working with a client and they are like you especially if you're a clinician of color and they are extremely racist and abusive to you and you know and there's this like the system's perspective is well your job is to work with this client no matter what right and i thought to myself Uh okay yes and if that client came in swinging at me or being physically violent or physically aggressive, um, would we as a system, as an organization, keep that person, allow that person to continue to come into the clinic or to the, you know, wherever they're getting their service? No, absolutely not. If they came in swinging or throwing Mm -hmm. things or whatever, we would try to work with them. But I've worked in places where, you know, it came to the point we had to tell someone you can no longer come to get services here because you were, your behavior is dangerous, right? We've tried these other things. It didn't work. So if what, do we need to do that with racism too, right? Try to work with the client, try to make meet them where they're at. But at a point, at what point do, do our workers of color have to continue to be racially abused because of the organization's viewpoint of, well, you have to continue to see your client. You don't get a choice, but to serve this client, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a completely different way of thinking about it. Well, but it's necessary. But my thing is, no. see, and here's the thing that I always have the problem. Why is it that people of color are the ones that always have to uh, be the experiment? If it was a man that was a known domestic violence perpetrator, a batterer, and it was a white female therapist, and he came in the office Mm -hmm. spewing his hate-filled whatever, I'm a beat, you know, what? how long do you think it takes security to... Oh, roll that man out. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. That's yeah, There's that's what no I'm talking about. Yeah. To me. Abuse is abuse, whether it's mm-hmm. verbal, whatever. So you know, but again, our bodies are the experiment. So we get to it's like we're the Tuskegee, you know, airmen. Mm-hmm. You can experiment on me until finally I break and then you fire me. Right. Because I can't my body can't take it yeah. no more. Yeah, that's, and and yeah, that's the thing is that the experiment. And that we're the experiment, and then we're yeah. ex- there's no 
you know, there's no extra for that work, right? I mean, that's the argument that, you know, in the past that has been made around certain um, uh, knowledge, skills, and ability requirements. If you're going to ask me to work with this, you got to also pay me for the emotional tax that I'm going to experience on a day-to-day basis of showing up and having to be racially abused every day. But they don't want to do that, right? It's like, oh, you know, you just need to learn how to, (laughs) you you know, you need to, maybe this isn't the work for you or you need a self-care plan or all these things. And so it's like this systematic. Again, I say they don't ever say that to the white therapist that cannot connect with their clients of color. Oh, no, I'm not saying yeah. for you. Exactly. This ain't, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, we're the ones that have to put up with crap Oh, this, you you know, but let's flip that on the other side. We got people that are afraid of their clients. We got (laughs) their stereotypes. We've got, you know, not only are there teachers that are racist, there are also social workers that are racist. There are psychologists that are racist. They are, you know, they're everywhere Mm -hmm. and they're treating our communities. And yet our communities who are asking for help are the ones that have to change in order to make these folks comfortable. That's yeah, no, I mean they're the ones, and they're the one. I mean, it's like if I go to the doctor, I got to cure myself because I don't want the doctor to get whatever I got. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I meant by workers. Yeah. Like that's a, that's the kind of logic that's you know it puts the onus on the 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 the, the person who's targeted. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. puts the onus on the person who's who's yeah. made vulnerable. Yeah. Ugh. Woo. As if we don't matter. See, if we just ran the world. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd be all. You know, you, you know, you know, because to, because today is actually uh, 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 Indigenous Peoples Day. It is. You yes. Know, I was actually thinking about that as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, man. I was like, because there's a there's actually a really one of my favorite classes to actually teach, and really just to kind of sit in. <clears throat> it was one of the hardest classes when I was a student. Uh, but, but eventually I ended up actually kind of getting the hang of it is American literature, early American literature, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like American literature before like 1492. Early. That's probably very early. Right. Because when you think about what American literature looks like before 1492, right. It, 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 it's not something that travels in the same way. It doesn't travel in the same kind of form. It doesn't sound the same. It doesn't look the same. It's not even the stories aren't even necessarily told in the same way that they once were, right? Why? Because this is part of the, the reason why I love teaching this class here now and part of what I actually explain to my students. When we're talking about American literature, we are not talking about cotton. It does, that, we're not talking about how it starts with the folks who come on the Mayflower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking about American literature. We're looking specifically at a, at a region, right, up here in North America. And what we're looking at particularly is the literature and the oral traditions. Mm-hmm. And here's where we're going to start. But the indigenous folks, mm-hmm. folks who were actually here before mm-hmm. Columbus came. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and and when you begin to look at, you know, I think not just this is this is a part of what I think is the, the irony about, you know, those people who were targeted, those folks who were from marginalized communities who were kind of meant to be the, the who were meant to make their own the, the, the solution to their to the to the they're meant to make the solution to the problem that they did not create, but that afflicts them the most, mm-hmm. i.e. white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Right. 
the reason why that's so absurd, right, especially like for black folks, is because we have our own way of looking at the world, myth, time, history, yes. so on and so forth, knowledge, language, what counts as all of that. We have our own way of thinking about all of that stuff. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, now yeah. you mean to tell me that I need to actually come up with a cure or a solution for, right, for, 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 for this kind of false like education or this kind of false way of thinking, this false way of knowing? Right? And I say false just quite simply to mean to, to mark like how it is that people of color are targeted. Like they're they're marked by their color as not, right? They're they're less than yeah. right, not enough. Yeah. Right? Not the right, right? So mm-hmm. on and so forth. So that's what I mean when I say write this false right kind of history, right? This false kind of literature, so on and yeah. so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that kind of reminds me of a, a reading that we did um that we had for a work meeting where well, we haven't had it yet, but we do these little equity meetings once a month and someone always picks something and then we just talk about it, which is actually pretty cool because you get a different look at what people are looking at, you know, equity wise. Yeah. Like, and so the, the, the guy that is doing this, this month's meeting, um, it was this uh, story. I can't remember when it exactly, but it was about that, you know, that the difference between the indigenous people's way of doing things versus the white way of doing things mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. the indigenous cultures, it was, there wasn't competition, right? There was, um, mm-hmm. there wasn't this like play with competition and that that was something that had to be learned that there was times where hierarchy and competition were important like during battles right they they had to have some sort of hierarchy so that you know but anytime else it was all very flat like there wasn't someone who was in charge of this in charge of that it was just like you know when something needed to be done it just got done communally collectively and so like the difference between the collective and the individual cultures and how um and how it doesn't doesn't fit into this white supremacy culture of individualism because mm-hmm. you know i'm the only one that can do this and and that whole and i, I mean it just resonated with me in round what like i i think personally why i'm like always struggling with why why is it always i i i i you know when it comes to the white perspective right because it is that individual white supremacy thing and how you know how that collectiveness had just has just been you know erased excised yeah yeah you know exactly. just and and seen as a weakness almost right absolutely yeah absolutely. and so that, that's the that's the yeah go ahead I'm sorry, go ahead no no go ahead <laughs> oh i was gonna say so you know what that's the so here's the wild thing right can we can let's like, can we bless the people right quick with like a real quick lesson? Do on it. Bring, Do it. Bring it down. Bring it. Break it down, baby. Call it. Bring it to the table. This ain't. Even, this not even gonna be long. This is, no. This is, here's what I'm gonna break bring it to down. The table, like, quick. A question. So, right when we think about the U.S. political structure, what is it like? What's the? What is it based on? Well we definitely identify ourselves as a democracy, right? And in, in, in the spirit of it, for sure, right? We're definitely, we have democratic tendencies, <laughs> you know? Democratic <laughs> tendencies. That's what we got to start. We got some democratic tendencies, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. That's about it, right? Because, you know, in terms of the, 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 
in terms of the uh, historical mythology, right, in terms of the story of how it is that our political structure came to be this way, what it is that we actually get in political science classes, so on and so forth, is that, you know, the idea is that we actually got it from the Greeks, specifically, mm-hmm. right, those folks who were in Athens, because they are, you know, the first, the world's first, you know, example of, you know, democracy at work and, you know, bringing multiple voices all together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they definitely have some cool stuff going on over there in, in Athens at the time. And I really, I really actually favor their, their, how explicit they were about their ties to nationhood, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they were so committed to their ties to nationhood that even within Greek culture, they fought each other over their different, over different nations. They ended up having two nations, Spartan, the Spartans and the Athenians, in a civil war called the Peloponnesian War. It's, it's essentially the backdrop for the film 300. Right? Oh. We're going to hold that off on, well, we're gonna hold that off on the side for a second. Right? Okay. You know, um, when it comes to the practical, but, but mind you, that's 3,000 years ago, though. So, yeah. you know, what Greeks and Romans did, 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 uh, <laughs> did Thomas Jefferson and them actually kind of take a look at mm-hmm. in order to see, you know, how does democracy thing here work in action? Because any politician will tell you that democracy in terms of its ideal different from its practice. Right. right? Yeah. Its execution. It has to be, right? So where did those early where did those early colonists actually go in order to figure out or in order to learn in order to get that taste of flavor about how democracy looks what it how it works how it functions in action mm-hmm. got it from the people of the longhouse mm-hmm. people of the longhouse right or what's otherwise known as the iroquois confederacy is one of the world's first is is literally our nation's first proto-democracy mm-hmm in their confederacy, they had about maybe, I, I can't remember if it was like eight to eight to 10 tribes. Uh, let's say somewhere like, like around like eight to 10 tribes off the top of my head, right? Um, that they would send a representative up mm-hmm. to go into the longhouse. And this mm-hmm. longhouse is precisely where they would go to make, you know, decisions about war, about reconciliation, about, you know, who's going to get what foods, who's going to grow what grains who's going to do what artworks to do, who's going to trade, right? We're going to set up trade lines and routes in the, in the, in the structure, the system for, you know, how we exchange goods and services. Mm-hmm. This was the place where they actually went to go and be what they called, right, of one mind, mm. right? Mm. And that's, mm. the, that's really where we begin to actually see the proto-elements of what we now call a democracy, right? The entire framework for how we understand democracy to function is, in a sense, part of what we've appropriated from indigenous cultures, really the, the, the Iroquois Confederacy. Uh, and we, like, snatched that and, like, kind of, like, took it and make it, made it into something like democracy, right? <laughs> That's where those democratic tendencies kind of come from. Something uh, like so, democracy. Happy, happy, right. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day, right? right? Like, yeah. Our real life government yeah. is actually structured, right? When it when it looks right, it looks like how it does, how it did right in the Longhouse. It, yeah. it, this yeah. is not an example of how it looks, of how it should look right now. At least, you know, the way that our federal and and our congressional systems act no. kind of set up right now is not because it, it, it definitely sounds like capitalism then came in and poisoned it all because it was like. Uh, yeah, we don't, we no longer work as a collective for the collective. We are mostly now, what can I get and how are you going to help me get it? Yeah. Like the spirit of Wetheka. 
Yep. Exactly. Oh. Well, happy like Indigenous Day. Yeah. Happy Indigenous Day. Heck yeah. <laughs> you bless All right, bless Tori. Indigenous People's Day. Um, what you got? What you got? What do I got? Oh, guys, so much. There's so much. I'm trying to figure out which one is the best one to uh, to come out with. Well, this is the most recent one that came up today. I mean, it's already been talked about, but there was an article today in New- Newsweek um, about the old Proud Boys. Um, Proud Boys supporter warns of civil war if Donald Trump loses election. So, I mean, they've been talking about it for a minute. So it's, it's not news, but, you know, there again, it's getting closer. We're, what, four weeks away? Um, mm-hmm. Or less than mm-hmm. that now, right? Three, three, three weeks away now. Damn. So uh, a video has emerged. Bride people of color. Mm -hmm. A video has emerged of Proud Boy supporter warning that there will be a civil war if Donald Trump does not get reelected in November and advises people to stock up on guns. The clip featuring a self-proclaimed supporter of the far right group was posted online by actor and blogger Walter Masterson and took place during a Trump rally in Staten, um, uh, Staten Island, um, Staten Island, uh, New York. The Proud Boy supporter, who is not identified, describes how the group are not brawlers, despite being known for their violent rallies and altercations with left wing groups. Um, but we're there. We're like the Marines. We're the first to come in. Oh, God, freaking cosplay. cosplay. We already got Marines. <laughs> we don't need you fools. <laughs> when asked by Masterson how the Proud Boys, um, how the Proud Boys reacted to Trump's stand back and stand by comments he made during the televised presidential debate, the man said the group took the mean that the president was telling them wait for my orders and that's exactly what we're waiting for the supporter adds the clip then shows masterson suggesting that the proud boys are not violent before jumping to the supporter giving a warning as to what will happen if he does not win if trump doesn't get reelected, there's going to be a riot I always have to do my uh, hillbilly voice. My hillbilly voice. (laughs) If he doesn't get elected, this is when you're going to get a civil war, he adds. My recommendations is to anyone to stock up on ammo and get your guns. The interview then cuts off at the end. Uh, Masterson said on a Twitter uh, Twitter days after the posted clip online that he intends to post the full interview soon. Just a reminder that this is exactly how the Proud Boys interpreted Trump's call um, as a call to arms. In a statement on Instagram, Masterson added, uh, "We he was very open and he knew it was on camera and signed a release from him form as well. He had asked to turn he had asked us to turn off the cameras during parts of the conversation and we obliged." So, um, yeah. I mean, it goes on to talk about, talk about QAnon and they're, you know, what they're doing out there and, and the so, shit that they're. And that's why I get to the point of why does he then tout that he is a law and order? Joe Biden is not about law and order. He's about law and order. Well, it depends. Is that only law and order when it comes to the natives and, you know, depends when they on start the getting out of hand? Amount of uh, melanin in your skin. <laughs> is when it's law and order, you know? And, and, and nobody is is concerned. These people are able to to spout out, you know, all of this stuff and nobody's concerned about that. You know, it's 
there's a certain performance. I mean, again, it goes back to, I think, for, for in, in, in a large way, when we're talking about white supremacy, or really when we're talking about folks who are, who've been made into victims of white supremacy, right? Um, there's a certain, there's a disconnect that they actually have between their principles, right? And then what it is, how it is that they show up, right? In terms of their performance, in terms of their actions. That disconnect is, 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 is tremendous because you start to see these contradictory responses that they have to things that they've said that they, you know, stand for, you know, we stand for truth, we stand for justice, right? We stand for, you know, responsibility, right? Of your, you know, for your fellow man, so right. on and so forth. But you literally are allowing, whether vocally or non-vocally, mm-hmm. right? Verbally or non-verbally, you are allowing for a domestic terrorist group, which the FBI, mind you, since before the 2000s, mm-hmm. have identified as the biggest threat yep. yeah. to America's security. Yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not even going to talk about the the FBI report in 1991 that like found and uncovered like an entire group and gang of white supremacist neo Nazis. Mm-hmm. in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. We're going to hold that yeah. one off to the side. Well, we kind of, we talked about the, 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 the 2.0 or 3.0 version of that that still yeah. exists, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like, yeah, like you're saying, way back in 91, they found this, and it's still happening, right? Just right. recently, the, the what were they calling the themselves? The, the ex- uh, executioners? The, 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 Yes, the executioner. Like, the executioner. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's they have a long history. Neck of the woods over there. Yeah. Yeah. They... Oh man. And, like, and that's so why I'm saying. That's why you see the people out in the streets because they're tired. You can't yep. say, "Oh, one gang over here," and then you put a badge on and you can join this other gang with qualified immunity. You can shoot mm-hmm. whoever the hell you want and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And that is only is reserved for white police officers, because mm-hmm. we already That's talked about that black police officer. I was going to say, a white lady, and he's he in jail. He's in prison. Yep. Mm-hmm. So sure is. You know, so that is uh, that qualified immunity is only for white folks, for the white. That is officers. so true. I know? mean, I, I, the other thing is too. I mean, I think there is. Um, for me, I mean, I, 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 th- I think about the, the, the potential that that group, that Proud Boys group has to cause some serious unrest, right? Because uh-huh. they've done it on a small scale, right, at the protests. Uh, they've it done be, it on a small be, scale. But would it be um, at the level of Black Lives Matter, uh, supposed of all these riots and protests? No, I mean, I, I think I, I, I'm thinking like, look at what they've done just at some protests. Right. Like, so I do believe there is a um, sense of they they because some of them are their their ability to have critical thinking skills is low. And my and thing is, what they, are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to take over? police that's officer? what what are they gonna what is their plan to me They're that's the, 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 what? the, the fear what? is they are just out of their wits enough to do something absolutely bananas i think 
right? Like whether <laughs> I mean, gun, just look gun. at fucking B- Bundy, the Bundy crowd that that took over the the yep. in, yep. in Klamath Falls in Bundy, right? Yeah, yeah. like they Fies took they took over mm-hmm. one office building for a period of time and were allowed to, and then didn't even get convicted for it, right? So no. you got yep. uh, you, yeah, they were working the with the part. sheriff's department, right? You got you got literally groups of of grown cosplay men who think they're Marines, right? That they think they're the same as the Marines. So to me, they're not thinking with all their faculties. So you get that trigger in their head of like, oh my, you know, he loses. And what shit won't they try to do? Because one, they feel empowered now because the president oh, yeah. called him out, right? Yeah. They, they're yeah. saying that was a call to arms. We're waiting. We're standing by. So... On November fourth, if he in fact is declared the loser, I I just don't. I mean, I to me, it's like anything goes for them. Like they're that they're that off. I mean, crazy. They're that crazy. They're that and crazy. they've been allowed to get that crazy. Right, exactly. See, and that's where I'm like, uh, Trump perpetuates in fear mongering and division. Uh, that's where he does his best work. Right. And they're you that know? crazy. And like we just said, they are within law enforcement agencies. They are within the prison system. They are within all our institutions of power. You, They are all within those systems, within the military. Like, they're all in these little areas. So to me, it's like, will it happen? I don't know. I hope not. But it's also, it's no. certainly something... I, I probably wouldn't have thought would be real, you know, five years ago. Now to me is like, I don't know. It could happen. It could happen. Whether it would last for a yeah. long time or maybe, you know, it would, there'd be some stuff popping off and shit would go down and then, you know, it would get stopped. I don't know. Because there's already like this concept of, of our, uh, what did you call it? Um, qua- what, what kind of democracy? Democracy light. <laughs> What, what did you say? Democracy. Yeah. Our, our, our democratic tendencies. <laughs> With our democratic, democratic tendencies, tendencies um, there's yeah. already been before this the the that that it's going to end, right? That the the quote unquote democracy that we have within this country is uh, has been on its way out, and so what happens decline. after that, right? What replaces it? What chaos has to happen until it? balances out again i don't know i don't you have know, the answer what's, what's, what's interesting to me about that is you know we've been the fact that we've been here before uh and not on this scale but i mean in this situation mm-hmm. right this is what i mean so it's funny because we could actually find a lot of a lot of uh responses right and solutions if we if we kind of take a look back in the past <clears throat> so i'm thinking about just like another time right where white supremacists actually overthrew the government it wasn't the federal government necessarily right it was a state government in wilmington north carolina in like the late 1800s mm-hmm. right they, they there was a, a town called wilmington right and it, it was filled with a bunch of you know actually it was it was it was almost kind of like a a, um, a black wall street Mm-hmm. town before black wall street mm-hmm. filled with a lot of prominent very well-to-do black folks right who had you know not only political independence but also to uh economic or financial self-determination they 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 did not look like any sort of kind of representation that we see currently 
um, uh, from from black folks or even currently at that time of, of black folks, right? These were folks who were this, right, and they even elected like four black Republicans, right? This is before like Republicans right. mean like what we right. kind of understand them to before be now, it's right? Flip flop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they yeah, had right? you know, before, right, right, right. You know, when you actually had a bunch of Democrats who were actually in the South, in particular at the time, as the Dixiecrats, right? So they were sort mm-hmm. of kind of like very invested in the, in the old ways, right? You know, this is actually where you begin to see like the proto seeds, as it were, right, of the, of the Make America Great mm-hmm. kind of mythology. Mm-hmm. So in Wilmington, North Carolina, like in the late 1800s, right, they they actually, you know, these this 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 town was actually a very mixed town, this Wilmington uh, space. And what they did was they actually created a fusion party along the lines of economic issues, right, and financial mm-hmm. interests. Mm-hmm. So they literally created a fusion. Imagine a fusion of, right, Black Lives Matters, right, and a bunch of, you know, woke, well-to-do and well-meaning, right, white folks, and, you know, a bunch of woke, just people of color all in general. Imagine all of them actually fo- forming a, a political voting block, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got the Democrats, right, who were right, the Southern Dixiecrats, <laughs> like just kind of left alone. They're like, wait a minute now, hold on, whoa, 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 <laughs> what is all of this going on here? <laughs> they literally started to use race and like images of racism. This is where we begin to see like some of the prototypical stereotypes, the the form, the the ideological foundations of racial stereotypes as they're associated with black bodies. Mm-hmm. This is what we begin to see them being utilized as a political tool or a political weapon in order to divide, right, these once unified, this once unified fusion party. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me about that is while it, the, the town literally actually ended up, they, they, they overthrew the government. <laughs> like they, they definitely kind of overthrew it. We don't know about that. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have a historical lens that expands right as far as the eye can see these kind of situations that lie in our past. So what kind of what kind of tools actually lie there for us to actually take a look at? Well, one, the fact the, the idea of the fusion party, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 need or the 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 situation itself demands almost now that we form a brand new fusion political party, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or form a brand new fusion voting block. If not not necessarily a political party, but a fusion voting block, right? Yeah. Why? Because through politics you could actually affect changes in policy. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but we also need a new kind of way to imagine, right, the way that folks are going to be able to get money. Right. Yeah. How can we actually build a new kind of a new structure or a new way by which we can get people to, to, to earn a living wage and not have to starve or not have to wait, right, or just kind of be hung up from paycheck to paycheck. How can we provide people with a living, sustainable wage? Right. When you actually attack those two components right there, I think you actually end up getting um, not, only, not only towards some of the strategy that's laid out in the past of like kind of tightness thinkers like Carter G. Woodson and W.E.B. Du Bois and Ida B. Wells and, uh, uh, um, you know, the Grimke sisters, so on and so forth, right? But, but then you also start to get to some of the ideological foundations on um, even some of what, what, what Sonia was actually kind of getting at with this, with this black contract, right, where, where, where Ice Cube was kind of sort of coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, you, you said it right there, is that we don't know about it because, one, like, who 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 learned that in history? I didn't. I mean, I, I learned shit just right. two minutes ago that I never learned mm-hmm. in my whole life. So mm-hmm. there's that. So the, the 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 creating of the history to serve a certain part of our white to serve our white population, right, is there. And mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, like what you're saying is that we could look back and learn, but it's not there. Right. So you have, so everybody, I mean, I think people are like the, the current, this proud boys and all this, this civil war talk. Oh, you know, like, Oh, could this really happen? And it is because there's no, there's not enough unless you're like looking for it. It's not going to be there to, to learn. Mm-hmm. You know where I found it? Where? You know where I found out about that? Where? I'm not even going to lie. I'm not even going to lie to y'all. I'm going to let y'all know exactly right where, 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 where as a professor I actually found it. Absolutely not. I did not find it on Google. <laughs> where did you I find it? on YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. I believe it. I believe wow. it. Yes. Yeah. What, so, so what's interesting about how information flows now in the digital age, like it's, it's literally available, mm-hmm. right? provided that one has access to technology, right? And internet and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth, right? That's not necessarily, you know, that's not, that's not a given, but, you know, provided that one has access to technology and all of that, right? You know, decent broadband, we could Mm -hmm. find this information provided that we know who to go to, right? Or provided Mm -hmm. that we know where to go to, Right. right? I actually, this literally just popped up on, on, on one of my YouTube accounts last year because I follow Vox. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Vox yeah. did a very special yeah. expose on it, and I'm like, oh wow! But I wouldn't have known Vox if not for my students right. Right. who asked me right on a research paper, "Hey, is it okay?" They, my students also introduced me to Vice News too, as well. Oh, that's right? a good. <laughs> one. Well, say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, yeah. What's interesting about it is like how they gather information. That's the thing that I'm interested the most about, like say the Vox and the Vice News that my students actually brought to my attention. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, but Professor Cag, you said that these here are the rules for, you know, you know, assessing the 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 credibility right. of evidence. Well, this this news space and area over here does that and they take you like in an through an eyewitness kind of, you know, uh, uh, on an eyewitness kind of journey yeah. through whatever the issue is and they pull like firsthand interviews, da 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 da. I started following Vice News and Vox after that, just so that way I can kind of sort of keep up with what it is that my students, wh- where my students are accessing information from. Yeah. But yeah, I, this just came up on my YouTube. Wow. Well, and wow. the interest, like you wow. said about the access to technology, the access to, to, te- to technology and where do you live? Because have you seen the social dilemma yet? Yeah. So depending on where I, you no, live. I have not seen okay. the social dilemma. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it'll, uh, it, it's, it's. I mean, it's shit you know, but then it's like they're putting it right at you. Like these social networks were created, and this is what they've done with these algorithms. And so the confirmation bias factor of the algorithm That's that depending on where you live and when you type into YouTube, right? So if you went into YouTube and typed in, you know, started typing an auto field depending on where you're at and what other things you've done, what results it's going to give you, right? So the the yeah, the one yeah. thing that they use on this movie is is climate change, 
And depending on region, when you type in climate change, it will either autofill uh, the science of or climate change is a hoax, you know. And so and we talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it on the on the podcast or just talked about it was we did because we went on Google. And yeah, because we tried uh, to see like if we would get different results, just, you know, yeah. but we, we have similar viewpoints. So our algorithm was pretty right. much the same remain the same the algorithm each other the uh, same right up, yeah up, hey maybe we should do it right now let's see say. what damon yeah, yeah let's wonder what, what yeah let's do yeah yeah what do you let's get let's do um covid19 is it a hoax or just what right covid19 is and see what it all feels okay so okay. let's COVID 19 is yeah <laughs> let's see hold on don't let me do it hold on covid 19 I'm going to do mine on my phone, see what comes with it. Okay. Oh, well, this says a lot about me then. All right. I know, uh, right? <laughs> okay, what does yours say? So mine, the first hits that I actually get are from the CDC. I got, I got from the CDC and the WHO. Okay, same here. Stats. Okay. I'm getting stats. Yep, World, yep, yep, stat World Health Org. Holy shit. What? I got COVID-19 is not a pandemic. Oh. What? Oh, what? Man. What have I been looking up that made him think that I would? Uh... I don't know, but we getting facts and stats. Well, who's around in your area? Oh. I might just be able to predominant so, search for the, for the area, right? So the, well, yeah, the, she's in Vancouver. The thing that came up was COVID-19 is not a pandemic. It is a syndemic. A syndemic nature of the threat we face mm. means that a more nuanced approach is needed if we are to protect the health of our communities. A more okay. nuanced. This is from an article okay. um, from The Lancet. Syndemic. Um. Let's see. Uh, the Lancet. I don't, I've never. I've never heard of this uh, publication. Um, <laughs> but oh, that's oh. that is in, in, and this was published on the twenty sixth of uh, of September. Um, let me see. Let me let me find out what this journal is. Um, this journal. Let me see what it is. I wonder. Have you ever heard of that journal, The Lancet? No. Either one of you? It no. says it's an independent no, international weekly general medical journal founded in 1823 by Thomas Wakeley. Since its first issue, um, the journal has strived to make science widely available so that it so that medicine can serve and transform society and positively impact the lives of people. The Lancet is committed to applying scientific knowledge to improve health and advance human progress. Um, da, da, da. so I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. What if uh, Dr. Stella there is a is a uh, editor? I, I wonder what uh, Dr. Fauci would think of it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like that would be a question I would love to ask Dr. Fauci. Like, yeah. uh, excuse me, Dr. Fauci. What's um, up with this? Wait, is this a, a, a pandemic or a pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Interesting interesting yeah and i agree i think it might be because of your area well yeah because um, i'm in clark county because, washington which yeah. is a more conservative area i mean it's just across the river but mm -hmm. yeah i mean the people don't want to wear masks around there yeah mm. interesting oh. 
Man, yeah. See. All right. Well, so I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna read the article just to see what they're they're talking about. Should we take a little break first? We've been we've been going for about yeah, an hour. Let's, let's right. take a little break and sure. get some drink and stretch and bathroom and okay. we'll come back. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to what are you bringing to the table? All right, we're back. We had a little break. Take take a bio break. Got some snacks. Got some drinks. Got some whatever else we, we we may need to uh, continue our evening here. <laughs> yeah. So I am bringing uh, this whole ice cube thing. I saw him on um, the red table with uh, what's her name, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so she had him and my man Van Jones on the show, and uh, so Ice Cube apparently had uh, put together some group of folks from different areas and different fields after George Floyd was murdered um, to talk about like how can politicians earn the vote to of black Americans and not just say, you know, like what Trump's doing, we're going to put $500 billion in your community with no plan, no nothing, no, you know, just talk. And and then once people say, Oh, he's going to do that. Then he says, then that's that. I got you vote now. And he's like, no, we need, um, and Tori, you've been saying this, no, we're going to hold you accountable. You got you got our vote. We're going to hold you accountable. Yeah. And so what he, mm-hmm. what he did put this um, thirteen point uh, I don't know bulletin of of the expectations of what Black Americans want to see in order for you to earn their vote. Like you are going to need to address these things, and it's not so much fixing one thing. It's working on all these three points. Um, so the first one is uh, representation. And that means adopting a plan of neo-reconstruction to redress past wrongs systemically imposed on Black Americans economically throughout many generations that has resulted in the wealth gap, where the average white family has 10 times the wealth of a Black family in addition to some of the economic initiatives listed below. Also, formally apologize to Black America. Additionally, Black opportunity and representation will include affirmative action in schools, public and private, per student funding in states on an equal basis instead of paid by local property taxes. Mm Black representation on all government civil rights bodies, civil rights classes mandatory in elementary schools, gerrymandering reform, additional polling places in black and minority neighborhoods, and June 10th to become a federal holiday. So that's just the representation piece. Juneteenth, not June 10th. Oh, what I say? You said June tenth. It, 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 it sounded like June tenth. I knew what you meant. Though. Yeah, I, I knew what she meant too. You. But I was like, just for the listeners, she meant June tenth. Yeah. June tenth. Um, right, right. Yes. Yeah, so that's that's his first his first thing. The so next thing. So should oh, we go ahead. should we break it down per, or you want to go through all three of them? Uh, no. Well, let's break it down per. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. What do you Thoughts? think, Professor Cag? 
Can I call you like your students, oh, you Professor Kag? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that, that's, that's funny because, you know, like I'm kind of known like in the neighborhood like that, like just by that name. It's either like Professor Kag or, or you know, the professor. I like <laughs> it. People I like it. Refer to me as. <laughs> but I think this is a, this is actually pretty interesting because um, I had mentioned, I think, earlier um, uh, about a book um, entitled the miseducation of the negro <clears throat> and carter g woodson who actually uh um ironically enough i mean uh ice cube is talking about juneteenth right becoming a federal holiday mm -hmm. uh carter g woodson is actually the uh the father of black history month um as a matter of fact he invented he he kind of brought it on the scene when it wasn't even a month it was just a week mm -hmm. uh but that's what i'm reminded of right here right this kind of program that he's breaking down um <clears throat> to build a guaranteed black opportunity what he's looking to actually do here is to try to establish a foundation of uh, really a kind of case for reparations that were the point of reparations, right, for black folks here. And now we're talking about, right, just to be very clear about reparations, the redress, <clears throat> the economic redress and um, move to uh, instantiate a, a, an act of justice, right? Uh, an act of moving in the in the in the direction of reconciliation, right? For 400 plus years of unpaid labor, mad mm. folks actually lost their jobs right now just as a result of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, so just imagine, right? We've been on quarantine not four months, right? What like eight months now? Uh, right? mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah, feels like something like that. Yeah, yeah, going on eight eight month March. So start happening yeah. March. Yeah, so. Yeah, seven months, right. eight months. Yeah. So, so imagine, right? However many people might have actually lost their jobs, mm -hmm. right, within that eight month period, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> we had a little bit of those jobs actually come back, right? But we're still drastically short yes. <laughs> from where we actually left off. Yeah. Okay. So then, folks who who never ever got a job back again, or even those folks who did get a get their job back, get get their jobs back. Imagine not getting paid at all, no government stimulus check, no money at all for just that time period, but multiply that by 400 years. Yeah. 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 So that's the case that he's laying out right here. And I think it's yeah. actually, I think it's interesting how he lays it out, right? He, he, he frames it as a neo reconstruction. Again, speaking back to the case for reparations, historically, right, that tracks back to the era of reconstruction, which was only for a period that was, it was only about seven years. It was a very short time period after slavery had ended in 1865 to when reconstruction began. And when it was quickly, like swiftly ended, mm -hmm. uh, that's a very, it was only like about a seven year kind of window and period here. Ice Cube is actually kind of laying, laying out some of those arguments that have been, that have kind of gathered steam since, since the, uh, uh, since, since reconstruction was actually, uh, more or less kind of moved to the side as a primary strategy for making the nation whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, this, this piece about uh, for me, like about the representation piece too, is, is that, I mean, that's huge, right? If you don't have, I mean, we talked about this last week in that story that you brought about uh, uh, Mr. Price who was killed in, um, in the Texas, that Texas town. And there's like yeah. five, there's like five police officers in this town of 15,000 people and every one of them were white. Mm -hmm. 
And so there's no representation yeah. mm-hmm. within the police force of the black community, even as small as it may be in that that community. There is zero representation. And so, like, to me, that's the one thing I think that people struggle with is that because it's fear, right? It's fear. You're going to take my job. I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my privilege. I'm going to lose blah, 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 all the, you know, the white, the white fear. But that's what matters, right? If you don't have a certain representation in, like, what this is saying, the governing bodies, the, um, you know, all the things that make the rules, of course they're not going to be made for everyone. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm down with number one so far. I'm good with number right. one so far. And, right. And, and just like we just saw, hear this uh, no-neck McConnell, 200 positions were open for federal judgeship. Not one went to a person of color or Not a female. One. Like that's Not huge. One. That is 200. huge. 200 white men's in charge in charge of federal. I mean, that's your federal appeals process, right? Yeah. So you get convicted. Yeah. Yeah. You go, you know, you, fi- you file the appeal. You go to your state's appeal. Then you go to your federal appeal. And then you go to the Supreme Court. If you know that, say you make it, you know, you make it to the federal level, and you know you're going to go up against that, I mean, are you even going to try at that point? I mean, there's, of course not. There's people that aren't even going to try at that point because they, right. you, they, you know, I'm going to go up against that. I'm going to go yeah. against up that, you know. And then now we're looking at it and from the Supreme Court, court point of view. Right. But this is, this is also why affirmative, the part where he's talking about affirmative action, affirmative action in school, mm-hmm. right, uh, specifically, um, that's the reason why that's actually very important. He says, right, in schools, both public and private, you see a lot of the tracks, a lot of the first opportunities that young folks actually get to gain access to a federal judgeship, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> begins yeah. at, it begins at school. Yes. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you stuff us, you redline us into the poorer schools or into the neighborhoods where our wealth is not as much as say our white counterparts who live outside of these redlined areas. And if we're paying per, you know, per taxes, obviously we're not going to be paying a lot of taxes considering, you know, some of these other folk. And yet we're getting subpar education and that seems to be okay with this government. Like it's, it's absolutely okay with them because of how the funding is actually structured, which is why I think the next part of what Cube is actually laying out here in this first point is almost just as equally as important as the point that, that uh, as his parent point, right? That affirmative action needs to be in- instituted right in schools, both public and private. Mm-hmm. He says, right, per student funding in states on all equal basis instead of paid by local property taxes. So like what Cube and, and like kind of the general public audience um, um, kind of is, is, is has an awareness of, right, or, or understands mm-hmm. is that, you know, schools at, in K-12 get funded by, right, local property taxes. Mm-hmm. And that's partly true, right? That, that's where they get a good, that's where they get, you know, a good majority of their funding from, right? right. Mm-hmm. The, or, or a good portion of their funding from. The other portion comes from the federal government direct. It comes straight from Uncle Sammy, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. that's based on performance too as well. So when you have schools who actually perform at these very high levels in terms of like the API scores, right? Or I forget what they what what their standardized scores are now that they actually go based on. But when you have these high performing schools, 
that are in these very rich, rich and risky areas that are also too culturally homogenous, it begins now to look just like the, the academic institution begins now to look just like the criminal justice institution, right? Or the, the police force mm-hmm. in that town in Texas when Mr. Yeah. Price is actually shot. Yeah. You begin to see a disconnect in why representation is not just a lofty ideal, right? But it's actually a strategy. It's the premise, the major premise upon which a strategy could be used in order to democratize our institution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah sure. for sure. For sure. All right. What's um, number two? Number two is lending reform. Bank lending will be regulated to require banks to lend a percentage of all loan and credit categories on an equal basis to the black population each bank serves. However, the minimum threshold must yearly meet the percentage equal to the national black population, currently approximately 13.4%. Rates on black loans federally and from banks to be the same average rates as whites. See, that's interesting. That's interesting. He says the minimum threshold, right, should be mm-hmm. based on the current national, should be equal to the current, the then current national black population, right? So at bare minimum, we should have, right, uh, 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 enough loans, enough money, enough funds actually available, right, to cover the entire black population is essentially what he's saying, right? Right. Here. So, so for me, it would be this, it'd be like, I'm turning banks away. Mm-hmm. That's, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what I see is he's saying is no, we're like Trump who can get, I don't know how many billions of dollars in loans, even though he is a risk. And yet that white man seems to mm-hmm. consistently get loans. Mm-hmm. Knows how to get the money. <laughs> and here, as people of color, we can't even get car loans without having the percentage rate sky high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm definitely down for that one. Yeah. E- equal credit. The next one, federal funding. Pass federal program providing, ev- I like this one, Provide providing every child with a government-funded trust account at birth starting with a $1,000 contribution as proposed by Senator Booker and Representative Presley accounts to be managed by the Treasury and only those born into lower wealth families would receive more contributions each year up to 46500 total. At the age of 18, access to the funds allowed but used but use restricted to asset enhancing actions such as buying homes, starting businesses, and funding education. See, so like the combination of, of, of number three, right? The federal funding of baby bonds along with um, bank, bank lending reform actually helps us to get at this, this uh, historic and almost unprecedented, almost unprecedented wealth gap uh, that we have in a post-civil rights America, right, between blacks and whites in particular, uh, but but also too, right, even even um, I think there was a few research study that, that was done that kind of pointed out that Asians are a little bit closer, right, Asian Americans are actually a little bit closer to uh, white Americans in terms of uh, 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 the amount of wealth collectively that with, they actually with, have. With a caveat, with, with an asterisk though, with an asterisk with Asian Americans. 
There is an asterisk. Because asterisk. Pacific ahead, Islanders yeah. are in that. Uh, Filipinas right. are in that's that. People from Vietnam right. are in that, and the Cambodia, and they actually have a that's lower right. income and and are, right. are more in that's poverty. Right. So, and that's the fucked up thing around that's the right. categorizing that we've done. We've said this Asian American, the model minority myth, which is bullshit. Because when you separate it out that's into right. the actual classes of uh, individuals that are categories of individuals that fall under Asian American, then it ain't quite there. So I just want to throw that one in there. Ooh. But you're absolutely right about that though, right? So, you know, I, 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 I was, I, it's so funny because I was just talking with one of my friends about this <clears throat> and he, he summed it up real quick for me. He said, yeah, all the brown Asians. Yeah. I'm Boom. Like, whoa he changed my format of thinking on that and i really had not made that connection but you're absolutely right all of those groups that you actually mentioned mm -hmm. those are all other brown brothers and sisters who were in the asian group right that that yeah. the kind of yep. asian category that, yep. that that the census kind of puts on them yeah 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 absolutely yeah. right that's yeah. the caveat <laughs> and and when i was reading this all i kept thinking was cha-ching cha-ching these young folks are going to be able to start, I mean, building wealth quickly. Well, and I mean, the like economically for the national, uh, in, you know, a national, like just it just builds a bigger, stronger economy. It, it you know, does. like to, to me, yeah. it's like, of course, you, you give people opportunity to start a business. You give people opportunity to go to school and not have to worry about taking out you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of student what loans, the white right? Families like, do what they're young right, generational people? wealth, generational they give wealth. Give them money yeah. to buy homes, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I mean, it just make it just makes sense if you truly want us to be economically sound. But I mean, as we were saying on the That's break, why I said that capitalism can't exist court. without racism. We can't we can't That's even get health care for all without it going to the Supreme Court. Because, you think, because you, you of think racism. These folks are going to allow baby bonds? Because of racism. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's a fact. You, I, yeah. I love what you said, Tori. You cannot have racism without capitalism. Mm -hmm. And it, vice versa. Racism is almost epiphenomenal of mm -hmm. capitalism, right? Yeah. Like it, it kind of is birthed out of it and then exists right alongside us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is Federal Reserve and government pensions. For qualified Black Americans, Federal Reserve to allow a one-time interest-free loan for home ownership. The Fed to ensure banks and institutions that overseas comply with bank lending reform. Fed mm -hmm. to adopt modern monetary theory with goal of full employment and avoidance of actual inflation. Federal and state pension funds control over a trillion dollars. They must allocate 13.4% of those investments into Black-owned uh, enterprises and businesses. Venture capital and private equity funds that take money, public entities that take money, public entities must invest 13.4% of their total funds in black-owned businesses. I mean, I'd go for that. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like, my, I mean, I'm a, I'm a public employee, 
my retirement is invested in, you know, by some people who claim they know what the fuck they're doing. And I just have to have faith that they do, you know, yeah. and they're not going to screw yeah. me over. Right. Right. But who do they get? To, who do they invest in? It's certainly like this. They're not they're not investing in Google. Black. Yeah. Microsoft. Yeah. They literally come up with a program and structures and strategies, right? Financial structures and strategies to supplement the wealth of the wealthy. Mm -hmm. That's what those dollars end up kind of getting pivoted off to. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this particular approach that I love about it is that he's he's highlighting a couple of different approaches, right? He says, right, you know, Fed, the feds need to adopt the modern monetary theory, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with the goal of full employment and avoidance of actual inflation, right? So the goal has to be in order to enact this strategy cube is actually what the, the, the claim is actually being made here that in order to enact this strategy successfully, right? You have to hit on certain markers. One of those markers being full employment of the 13.4% of black folks that we have across the U.S. And also to the avoidance, right, of actual inflation. So that means that these funds here cannot necessarily be subject to inflation, right, or, or, or they must be adjusted, right, according to inflation as it occurs over time. Mm -hmm. That's that's smart. Mm -hmm. Year to year. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes sense you too, know, right? I because these public dollars are being used to invest in white companies, but it's public money. Right. And the black right. black community yeah. is part of the public. Why wouldn't we reinvest public dollars into black owned businesses? I mean, I just. <laughs> Why, yeah, we have to put it all in these little mandates to get a contract. But especially, especially you know. when especially when that's exactly what they did and have been doing since FDR's New Deal. Mm hmm. Right. Like, see, like this all needs to be actually situated within the context of FDR's New Deal. Why? Because it strategically, specifically and very intentionally cut out occupations that were predominantly populated by black folks. That was mm -hmm. the only way that, that, that FDR was going to actually get those Southern Dixiecrats on the team to support right in Congress in order to support mm -hmm. the passage of the New Deal. Mm -hmm. He had to literally... Uh, this is this is like this is what we mean by like kind of say like structural inequality, right? Or kind of structural violence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a kind of new. This is a southern strategy, early at work. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. The next one is finance oversight. A banking commission or even a cabinet or sub cabinet post will be set up to overlook and report on black and minority lending housing ownership and mortgages, and enforcement of items two and three above. Such authority will also oversee and audit federal programs such as Economic Opportunity Zones and Community Reinvestment Act to determine who is benefiting from disbursement of such funds. will provide for a transparent reporting mechanism for abuses to economic programs designed to benefit communities in need. I mean, yeah, unlike the damn COVID money who went all the small business money went to his fucking cronies because there was no oversight right. of it. <laughs> right. How many how many billions right. of dollars went to companies that didn't need the money that would have been to just fine? Jared Kushner? Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. No, no, on Ivanka. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. Mm -mm. 
Mm. Yeah. But see, can you already see these these uh Oh, they're uh, losing their damn minds. Losing yeah. their damn they're, minds. They're already like, hell no, you know. Yeah. They're already there. Uh but I like it because I'm like, then you don't get our vote. But then I'm like, then they're like, well, if you don't vote, right, then who cares? Yeah. Exactly. But let's go to the next one. Okay. Personal data and credit. Most states publicly release bulk data about arrestees unchecked, like the 1970 Fair Credit Reporting Act. Regarding credit data, there must be guidelines regarding regarding arrest records that allow similar privacy and accuracy protection and the right to dispute and correct inaccurate data. Credit services will be reformed to mandate consideration of individual consumer data on rent, utility, cell phone, and other like bill payments. I love this one. I love mm-hmm. this one. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you got people out there paying rent every month on time, yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars a year, and don't get no credit for it. Paying their nah. utility bill on time every month, no credit for it. Can't get, mm-hmm. but can't get a credit card to build credit. So there's no there. I, I that one, yeah. That one, yeah. that one right there. I'm with you, Tori. I, I I feel just about as speechless because you know it's 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 almost so um it's it's almost so simple, right? It's it's you wouldn't think of it, but when you think about it, one of the major barriers, one of the major financial structural barriers that predominantly black folks and brown folks and poor folks actually face mm-hmm. writ large yes. is that is, is that barrier to gain access to credit now mm-hmm. we're talking about folks who were formerly incarcerated that's two yes that's yeah. two sets of yeah. barriers that they actually have to kind of mm-hmm. fight that they have to kind of and, and they can't even fight through it because oftentimes right depending upon which state you're in right you lose the right to vote Right. Yeah. So there's a political barrier, right, that that that's that's impeding one's progress towards self-determination. Yep. And then you also, right, cannot get I guess this here must be like way this is much more widespread than than the uh than than the the um uh, the loss of voting rights. But I'm not sure really exactly what states have laws that kind of govern or regulate, right, how credit is dispensed or or not. But if there's no legislation on the books and it's just completely up to the credit lenders to pick and choose who it is that they actually want to lend credit to, mm-hmm. prisoners are going to be that's the that's the second financial barrier. That's another financial barrier that they now have to actually kind of fight and navigate yeah. their way through. Yeah, yeah. And then we already know we already know who they're choosing. Yeah, exactly. We exactly. don't even need to do stats. <laughs> I don't right? need to go through the stats of who they're right, right. Of what they're choosing. Well, I mean, the, even even the fucked upness now around renting, and and where you can rent based on your credit score. It's like mm-hmm. if I had a good credit score, okay. I wouldn't be renting. I'd be going and getting right. a home loan <laughs> and buying a house, right? You're gonna tell right. me I can't rent from you, even though I've rented, you know. 10 years in a place, on time, no problems, dot, 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 dot. But now because of my credit score, because maybe I want to move out of the area that I've been living in because whatever's happening or, you know, whatever, but I can't rent in your place because my credit score isn't good enough. Like, right. what? What? Or, or, so you keep, you again, you keep certain people out of certain areas, right? I think about Portland. Right. I think about Portland yeah. and all these. I was just over there today 
going down Vancouver Street. So uh, for you, Damon, uh, it's Northeast Portland. Been gentrified okay. for years now, right? And and it okay. just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And so I'm driving down uh, Vancouver, um, and just like all these apartment buildings, right? You've probably seen it down there too, right? Mm -hmm. Gentrified areas, and then all these yeah. luxury apartment yeah. homes get put in. And I'm like, who the hell is going to be able to rent there? It's not going to be people with bad credit who are primarily nope. uh, people of color. Right, who so were booted out of their neighborhood. We were booted out to begin with, right. but then they yeah. can't even move yep. back and rent there because they don't have the credit scores to rent at these places. Like it's just so like to me. I don't know. I I guess maybe I don't know. It's just so fucking obvious what you're what they're doing, you mm -hmm. know. And so this that, would write this you know, would write some write some wrongs, some wrongs, and give access to areas of cities where people would want to live or move back to, you know. Oh, wow. Exactly. Yeah. This is a big one. Uh, the next one is prison Ooh, reform. Come on now with it. This is, yeah, this is privately run prisons will be abolished. Out of prison here. labor disallowed without consent mm -hmm. and nonviolent offenders incarcerated for 10 years or longer will be freed if good behavior standards met. Mm. All prisoners for marijuana possession freed. Yes. First offense for illegal drug use or possession to require government payment for entry into an approved drug rehab program mm. rather than imprisonment. Once any prisoner completes sentence, voting rights are restored. 100%. See, that's making somebody whole. 100%. Yeah. I mean, the only thing, and maybe it doesn't fit into this one, but I would just, I mean, there maybe there needs to be a number, whatever, or seven, seven A. I mean, let's just decriminalize drugs. Let's just, yeah. Let's just take yeah. the pipeline. Let's just close down the pipeline to the prisons, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. just decriminalize yeah. them and put the money into treatment and rehabilitation and service mental health. Because yeah. let me tell you, the gateway drug is trauma. It's not cannabis it's fact. not alcohol it's not whatever what, the gateway drug is trauma and mm -hmm. when you have trauma and you're experiencing generational trauma historical trauma everyday trauma of racism you're gonna find something to help you cope and sometimes it's drugs yeah. so let's just decriminalize drugs and just cut off that pipeline altogether yeah sorry i got my soapbox a little bit on that one <laughs> no that's yeah. good tell him tell him yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, what's, what's really amazing about... I'm sorry, go ahead. Go no, ahead, no, Debbie. no, go ahead. I was going to go to the next one, but you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say just really quickly, like, see, like this one here can't even... It, it really it really can't be undersold, right? It, it, there's really not even... There's not too much that we could actually say uh, uh, about this, right? There's not, there's not enough that we could actually say, rather, about this. You know, privately run prisons will be abolished. Mm-hmm. Prison labor, there's a comma, not a period right after that, but a comma, prison labor disallowed without consent mm -hmm. and nonviolent offenders incarcerated for 10 years or more, right, uh, will be uh, uh, free. Now, the, I'm interested in like kind of the first two bits because the first two bits are secretly, when we actually look again, right, going back to the history, when we begin to look at what life was like after the end of slavery, Right, i.e., in a time, the, the, the only other time in the nation's history that we kind of find ourselves in the kind of political, economic, social, and cultural situation that we find ourselves in, similar to now, right? When we go back and look at the, through the window of time, back at the time period, what we begin to see is the slick and sly methods 
that folks, capitalists, right, rich, rich white folks actually begin to implement in order to get black folks back into slavery. Mm-hmm. This here is where we actually come up with convict leasing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Convict leasing yeah. was the next iteration out of which, right, slavery evolved into, right? It yeah. did not end. Why? Because, right, the 13th Amendment did not necessarily abolish slavery. It made an exception, right? It had a subordinate mm-hmm. clause, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Except, right, comma, back to the comma, right, comma, except under the condition of, right, imprisonment. Mm, so that was right. the one condition by which slavery was actually extended mm-hmm. since 1865, since it quote unquote supposedly ended. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This one is important right here. And there's not enough yeah. that, that could be said. I think the, yeah. the only thing I would add to around that, you know, um, prison labor disallowed without consent. So even if, 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 and when someone consents to the labor, they're paid some sort of living wage. I'm with you. Right. Yeah, yep, yep, and yep, let's yep, just turn to, to the most recent event and still happening. Wildfires. Every yeah. mm-hmm, season, mm-hmm. every season, inmate labor is used to fight fires and they cannot, yes. when they leave that prison, they cannot get a job fighting fires. Come at on. the federal level. Come on now. now they might be able to get a job at a price for a price. So um, way back in the day, I did wildland firefighting and I worked for a private company and my, my supervisor, she would hire guys with criminal ha- histories and stuff. You know, just, she good, was just good. up front with them. Like, you know, keep yourself clean and come to work and, you know, don't come to work drunk, like take care of your business and yeah. you got a job. Right. But yeah. that's a substantially lower paying firefighting job versus like the federal you know, uh, or the state wildland firefighters. So to, to, I mean, to me, it's like, you're, you're, you're saying go fight this fire and learn all this skills. But when you leave prison, you're not going to be able to actually do this job. Right. So to me, that's one of those things of like, if you do a job consent, right. You, you consent to doing a job, whatever trade it is, you're learning, whether it's firefighting, woodworking, plumbing, electrician, whatever, you have the that that's that's the same as anybody else in an apprenticeship program right yeah. you qualify yeah, for right. every job that you go out to in in that field you know yeah. like your criminal record will not be your barrier to getting a job with you know the freaking uh electronics union of whatever you know yeah or whoever yeah, yeah. or firefighting yeah, you listening. you could actually leave go apply for a fucking pumper truck job with the the forest service and and be and yep. be qualified to do it. You know, you got to go through the process the same as everybody else. But the fact that you were in prison is not going to prohibit you from having that job. So that's the only right. thing I would add to that one. All right. Yeah. Uh, the next one is judicial reform eliminates mandatory minimums and three strike laws. Mm-hmm. The Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice reformed through stricter guidelines and greater oversight over police departments. Mm-hmm. DOJs can be sued for non-compliance, lynching to become a federal hate crime, and the Ku Klux Klan declared a terrorist organization. I would also add the Proud Boys Boom. on there. I would. I would say white supremacist organizations. White supremacist organizations, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And then that would be my only change there. We actually know. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um. Uh. So the next one is the Police Reform Act. Police reforms will be implemented in an expansive act that will 
at minimum include elimination of qualified immunity. Boom. Requirement of mandatory malpractice insurance for police officers. Make make municipalities liable for unconstitutional acts by police. Mm -hmm. Mandatory use of dashboard and body cams. Elimination of chokeholds and no-knock warrants. Mm -hmm. Establishment of residency requirements. Exactly what that one dude was saying. We want our money back in our communities. Mm -hmm. That's right. De-escalation training and requirement to update training. Severe penalties for evidence tampering, including withholding DNA. Mm. A federal database of police and disciplinary records established and made public Mm -hmm. and once fired for cause cannot be rehired. Come on now. Creation of Office of Independent Prosecutors to solely focus on prosecuting police accused of wrongdoing. Other reform... Other reforms as listed in greater t- detail in the contract with Black America. I mean, yes, please. They hit all the points. All of it. If, you know, actually, if I, they had been doing this, we wouldn't be having people screaming in the streets. Yeah, I will put some pressure on them in a couple of areas. Though I like this. I like I like how how, how wide it actually. This is a wide canvas that he actually has laid out right here in terms of uh, police reform act. You see, part of where I would actually put a little bit of pressure on them, though, is is at the, uh, the, the, the educational requirements. You see, he only has in here uh, de-escalation training and yeah. a requirement to update training, right? So mm-hmm. this actually helps to get to, the, to, to an issue that we actually see in education, which is that, you know, part of the re- – so whatever the educational reform ends up being of the day, right, whatever the taste of flavor is, like, you know, <laughs> a four-year run or whatever – Mm-hmm. Right, you know, all these instructors got to go and take all of this training now for this new kind of system or whatnot, and they end up reproducing the very same problems yeah. that they're trying to address in the first place. Yeah. So the problem ends up kind of ultimately being reform. I would put some pressure and say instead of doing the the de-escalation training, that add some. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Keep yeah. That in there. Keep that in there. Yeah. We need that. Yeah. But there needs to be a an educational minimum. Um, an educational minimum standard that is federalized or, or that's 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 taken up by every single state right yeah, and, yeah. and also too yeah. for, for federal officers that they should have a minimum of a college bachelor's of arts or science degree right i would say even a a, a college bachelor of arts degree mm-hmm. in um in either social justice or uh, uh um ethnic studies yeah, mm-hmm. and part of the reason why is because if you're going to be serving the people, then you got to go know about these people. Yes, right. Not yeah. not just about who they are right now, but you got to know about who they are and where they have been, right? Yes. As a people, collectively, you got to go. In other words, learn their story, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And some facts and statistics and some historical events to actually flesh out the details yes. of that story. Yes, that's why I would press that. And yeah. I would say the other thing I would add to this um, would be, I mean, I'm with you. I don't think, take, don't take any of this way. Add to, um, mm-hmm. I would look at um, uh, uh, raising the minimum age of it for to become a police officer. Because there, right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. literally some agencies, you could be 18 years old, have your GED and get a job as a police officer. You're giving yeah, a see, gun and, and, the, and the, the right to kill someone to an 18 year old. 
I mean, we and do it with our military have, too, right? We you do can't it, even have like, a beer. I mean, we ain't gonna talk about our military because that's a whole nother podcast. But you're you're saying yeah. you can get, you're gonna get a gun and legally be allowed to kill someone if you feel for your life to a person whose brain is not fully formed and that part of the brain which is the most important part our executive function functioning that helps us make good decisions is the part that's not formed yet but i'm going to yeah. give you a gun and say go on now go ahead and go out and use it and do the do, do the best yeah. you can I, and i think the difference between the military though and just police is that you they have a very strict code in you know chain of command what you can do whereas police you're listening to whoever your little sergeant is um and they're teaching you and then you're out there loosey-goosey yeah yeah i mean i think do, there's some difference you can do whatever yeah yeah but you know? the 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 minimum i think you think you have to be 25 because that's where it the the science is seeing eh, about yeah, twenty five yeah, things yeah. are things are developed. Yeah. Some some it's going into your early thirties, but that's an average age of fully brain developed. And mm -hmm. and so you add the education piece on, so that gives people opportunity go get that four year degree, right? Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. then you're gonna be old enough not only brain wise, you're gonna have some critical yep. thinking skills. You're gonna take yep. have taken some coursework in behavioral, you know, social mm -hmm. sciences. Because I think mm -hmm. you're right. It's like you you do just you're just going out there with no knowledge of how community works, how people right. function. Um, right. You know, and, I, yeah. and here's the other thing is like now he's saying all of these things have to be worked on not one at a time, collectively. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, so as we're reforming, you know, the police because some people would be like. Um, well, who at 24 is going to want to, you know, be a police officer? They know it's dangerous. Boo, ain't nobody want to do that. Then it's like, well, by that time, you know, the wealth is increasing. Mm -hmm. People are having more hope. They're seeing they're not desperate. They're not, you know, they're starting to build up their own communities. There's more pride. There's more, you know, all these things that feeling a part of a community gives you as opposed to feeling you're outside of a community. You're not wanted in this community. Now it's, we're wanted, our, we like where we live, you know, cause that's what, I'm, and that's what money does. Money lowers your um, survival, the need to survive. It just, you know, when you have enough to feed your family, right. when a single mom is making and earning, better than living a uh, living wage she's not worried she don't have to you know she's not worried about you know where the next meal is going to come from how she's going to pay rent what type of medicine she's going to decide to choose this month to buy you know because it's you know she's able to do all those things well i mean in in here too it talks about the residency standard yeah because that would actually build up some of these communities. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that the video we talked about before of the, the guy going, going to the city council and saying, none of you, none of you people live That's right. in our community. So all right. your tax dollars is going to fund that school over there, not my school, right. not my son's school. So this, this is one of those things that will 
again, turn that around, the wealth goes back into the community, stays right. in the community, the schools get better, there's more hope. And like you said, money don't solve everything. No. But if you're thinking, if you're constantly worrying about whether your lights are going to get shut off or I'm going to pay this bill instead of that bill, I'm going to buy this medicine instead of that medicine. Seeing your kids go hungry. Yeah, like that's a level of stress that, adds to your already level of stress which then adds to your uh poor health outcomes right yeah. like the uh, just... and your mental health oh dios mio okay yeah get, get yeah going here. you know what's 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 really even kind of more amazing about this is that when you start to what, what sylvia you actually hit on it you're talking about belonging yeah mm. like could Come you imagine now. a culture a society, a nation where everybody felt as though they belonged. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, is that a wrong, is that, is that wrong? Is that wrong of me? Should I not be, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't, I shouldn't no. go for that. I shouldn't have that. <laughs> You're not wrong. Right. I think that's the, that's the issue, right? That, is we yeah. have created this uh, narrative of who belongs and who doesn't. Right. That's right. And, 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 and it depends on how much cash you got in your pocket. Yeah. And what an amazing thing it, I mean, just think it like personally, right? Whenever you felt seen, heard, and valued, what do you feel like? Yeah. Safe. Like, you feel, yeah, you, you feel, feel safe. safe. You feel yeah. empowered. You feel confident. Yeah. You feel like, yeah. shit, I could take over the world. You know? Yeah, right. Like, oh, I could do so much good. I can do this. But when you don't have that feeling, that's the despair. That's the destruction. That's all of the things. Oh, man. Yeah, belonging. That's the that's belonging. the recipe that we have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so the next thing is FCC licensing of public airwaves. Broadcast networks will be required to air black produced content equal to twenty percent of the total content on the network as measured by time. Okay. Mm. That's interesting. See, that actually gets back to your earlier point about representation, Sylvia. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, you know, what it is that 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 people see, right? When we, when we think about that police department down in 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 Texas, right? That actually yeah. about Brother Price. You know, the the except except it's not within the context of the police force, right? Or within the institution of criminal justice system. We're talking about now within the institution of the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Popular yeah. mass media, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, think about that concept, right? Of you have, you know. Malik, who's walking down the street right in Texas, and then he sees all of these white all around him. The only cops that he sees is white. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to associate with the cops, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Malik goes home. He turns on the TV, and what does he see? More images, more white folks, right? Like, I, I specifically think back to that Oscar controversy, right? Oscar's so white. <laughs> Part of the reason behind the hashtag for that was because Literally, you turn on channel four, you turn on channel seven, mm-hmm. you turn on channel or all of the major network stations, and the prime time shows that were on didn't feature hardly any black people. Right, right, and and really any people of color. And when they right. do, and when they do, what do they feature them as? Right, criminals, robbers, uh, yeah. cleaning, yeah. Clean, cleaning, <laughs> cleaning folks. Um, yeah, right. you know, it, trash it, collectors. All, yeah, all the menial things. Um, the problems, yeah. the drug dealers, the drug users, et cetera, et cetera, and that feeds people's implicit bias, right? Like, like what you're saying. Absolutely. Like, you turn on mm-hmm. the TV. I mean, I just think about it. Like from myself, like from from childhood on, when I would turn on the TV, what would be on there, right? What message mm-hmm. is that feeding mm-hmm. into people's minds around what black and brown bodies do and look like, 
right? Yeah. So yeah. the only and thing I would add to the content piece is like there needs to be some sort of like oversight around, you know, what what exactly the content is showing too, right? Because you could end mm. up with a situation where it's, you know, um, they, well, say, say, they say, okay, is that uh, what it says? Yeah, it says black, it's air black okay. produced okay, yeah, content, yeah. Okay. not just air whoever's okay. content okay. about black folks. Okay, good. I missed that part because I was like, yeah, because um, I could see them putting cops on 20, you know, for five right. hours in a day and say, see, there's black folk on TV because yeah. that's what they've yeah. been doing. Yeah. <laughs> so then this would essentially be out of 60 minutes, 12 of those minutes would be something that was produced by a, a black, whether it's an owner, a black producer, a black, uh, you know, uh, not director. I, you know what? I think it's something like that because he's saying like relative to the total content on the network. So like as measured by time. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Okay, so he would li he's literally talking about like this is a set number that we yeah. got here. That's yeah. Wild. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean it makes sense. I mean in Canada their 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 programming has to be uh like Canadian produced and Canadian like um they have very strict rules on what what shows on Canada on Canadian TV because like I have some friends that live in British Columbia Helgen shout out to Helgen Helgen James like they they got to do this whole thing where they get like a pirated you know uh, dish system where they can get you know state like uh HBO and stuff like that because they do they have a rule of like we got to have cultural you know Canadian culture I don't know what breaks down to indigenous or first nations and everything else but um, I mean, it makes sense. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Why wouldn't we have some mechanism to make sure that there's representation in the things that we view? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm down with it. So, it, yeah, in 24 hours, we would get at least four hours, almost five hours of something that was produced by a person of color. Right, right. And so so this, this is the part that's wild to me. Because when you broke it down, like, into, like, 12 minutes, you know, I'm thinking, I'm... Okay, a thirty-minute, uh, a thirty-minute uh, uh, sitcom, right? If they even have sitcoms right. anymore, <laughs> you know, thirty-minute sitcoms actually translates to twenty-two minutes, right? Yes. About twenty-two mm -hmm. to twenty-four minutes, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uninterrupted. But you mean to tell me, so like that's like half of that time now we're talking about of that? Right, of that's that, what I'm saying. He's asking minimal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you talking yeah. about half an episode of Well, they could also do black folks in there, some black right. content. <laughs> but they could also do commercials, like you know yeah. these uh, advertising agencies if they are black owned and they're producing commercials. Mm -hmm. You can count that. I mean, you can get how many commercials could you get in those twelve minutes? You know, you. you can get quite a bit of commercial, which means funding, money. You know, things are happening. Yeah. Oh my you gosh! Know? You know what? So this actually helps to incentivize. This is a this is a plan that could actually incentivize the um, uh, almost like a bit of a renaissance, not just in 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 Hollywood, but also too in even on 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 Madison Avenue, right? Yeah. Where it's like the kind of Mad Men, right? On on you know where they produce ads. Mm -hmm. This could produce a certain kind of renaissance or a certain kind of birth right of of mm -hmm. black production black film production companies black yep. television production companies, more tyler perry's production yeah right yeah this yeah. is tremendous right here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. not unless uh, did you hear the owner of bet 
He's a Trump supporter. Well, of course he is. Well, y'all, y'all know, of y'all course, because look what he, look what he, he feeds. He's owned by Viacom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> would that be considered? Would that be considered black produced content then? Absolutely not. No, because it's owned by Viacom. Okay. See, I mean, like, like you got like the you have the president, right? Who I mean, you know, back in the day, right? I mean, there was Deborah Lee, right? She was a she was a black woman who actually ran BET just after uh, I want to say maybe 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 there might have been one president before her, but just after Bob Johnson had actually sold it to Viacom, Deborah Lee was the president of BET. And that wasn't necessarily the most kind of positive kind of content that we're thinking about here in this particular case. She ran it, but I'm thinking that he means like owners, right? He's talking about the black produced content, right? So like yeah. black folks who own the content, uh, not, not, not Viacom that's owned by not, not somebody who's, right. who's I don't think, I don't think they're owned by a black person. But um, yeah. they're not talking about the content that Viacom would actually produce there. They're talking about folks like Issa Rae, talking about folks like uh, Juhan Jones, right? Uh, people yeah. who are like black content producers now, right? Yeah. Yvonne Orji, right? They're, I love are, Issa Rae. Black content. Yeah. Oh, I love Issa. <laughs> She's amazing. Uh, yeah. The <laughs> next one. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say they probably should have put her picture right by this number 10 right here like just yeah. right like what we mean when we say like black produced content yeah can... yeah 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 this is the this would be the example yeah 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 okay confederate monuments and institutions elimination of all confederate statues and uses or displays of confederate flags on government grounds or property with public access Rename all streets, schools, public structures, etc., named after Confederate soldiers or leaders. A memorial will be built in Washington, D.C. to victims of police Ooh, excessive force. That's going to make some people angry. Mm-hmm. All of that's going to piss off the, the racists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't happen to see anything, like, egregiously wrong with this at all, except, you know, it might cost us little bit of gas money you know and you know a crew or two to kind of remove the stuff so they got to use the caterpillar you probably get people who do that for free though that's what i'm thinking (laughs) yeah we'll have uh candace owens group pay for them to go to washington they they, all they'd have to do all they'd have to do with the monuments and statues would be like okay on this day we'll call them um, on june 16th of uh 2021 will be the day that you can freely tear down any monument or statue that there is confederate and that should be done for free that shit will be oh, done yeah. for right? free yeah it'll be done in yeah, a day yeah. <laughs> talk about a public works a public <laughs> works project right <laughs> right exactly and if and if we did want to pay anybody to do it i would definitely be in favor of using prison labor to actually do that but we pay them a livable wage yes <laughs> yeah. yes yeah yes right um, the next thing is AJP program for education and jobs, adoption of AJP, a public private program that pro- provides access to jobs and education and or training for people willing to put in the work and commitment. I don't know what AJP stands for. I'm not sure either. Yeah, I don't know. But either. you know what? Just. 
just in terms of how like the attention that's kind of put on in this one right here, mm-hmm. I, I gotta I think this one here could have actually been developed a little bit better. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not maybe I'm not actually understanding what an AJP is, and that's kind of the missing component for me. But yeah, <laughs> I felt like there could have been some more work that's actually done, really just across this entire plant that directly addresses education um, and and jobs. So this actually helps to address access to jobs. Yeah. And education, okay. right? Yeah. But there, but 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 you know, the issue the issue doesn't stop at the front door of of the school, right? I mean, you know, there there are issues that actually kind of continue on, you know, even beyond just gaining access to education, and and even you know beyond, you know, getting the job interview that matter and that shape the conditions and the environment in which one is getting educated and in which one is actually working that um, create barriers for an individual to actually gain advancement, right, through completion mm-hmm. of that system. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was trying to AJP. I'm going to look at, keep talking. I'm going to try to see if I can figure out what, what, what exactly that is. What, yeah, what, yeah. Um, what AJP stands for. So I see something on here that says, uh, oh, it's more perfect union, da, da, da. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, that would be, I wish that they would have, you know, and they always say acronyms are. Oh, it's American Jobs Project. Yeah, see. For educational jobs. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to put some pressure on him on this one right here. Yeah, that needs to be expanded a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is no solution to the educational issues that 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 we end up seeing. And here, like specifically, I'm talking about like instances and issues of racism, like how we mentioned earlier in the story, right? Where you actually got that chemistry teacher who's doing who's who's catfishing, right? As a, as a as a black woman, right? Or as a mm-hmm. woman of color, um, you know. Think about the kind of treatment that is students of color actually get in the classroom. Right. Like mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of kind of a dr- redress to those kinds of issues that pop up after the student enters school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm talking about right there. I think he could have there, there could be some more fleshing out. Yeah. 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 So and it, it didn't look like they spent a lot of time on. Yeah. I mean, right. It's just one like sentence. one little tiny paragraph. <laughs> It's like one, not even a paragraph. It's like a sentence. Right. Yeah. 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 And it just says, you know, to jo- access to, jo- and it's just access. Like, I mean, when we talk about issues of equity and education alone, right. there's five indicators. At least right. there are five common ones that we actually use, you know, but they're, 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 they're way more than five that, you know, are indicators in the research that highlights whether or not there's equity um, in a school, in an institution, in an educational institution. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, at the last part of the sentence of for people willing to put in the work and commitment. OK, who judges that? Yeah. And what what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. Are we taking into consideration yeah. the barriers that might come into play to be able to put in the work and the commitment yeah. that? Yeah, this yeah. one. This one needs a little help. Yeah. 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 Uh, black responsibility. Chronic poverty creates an atmosphere full of negativity, frustration, hopelessness, depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, crime, and violence. These are some of the conditions that plague the Black community, which is dealing with extreme generational poverty, 
as we begin to gain social and economic equality, it is our duty to clean up ourselves and our community. This contract is a two-way street. As we gain social and economic equality, equality, we must begin to dissolve any bitterness in our hearts for past wrongs. We must become better citizens who are more productive on all levels of American society. We really must step up after we pass the contract with Black America with no more excuses left in the kitty. Our entertainers should be persuaded to deliver more positive content that leads our youth to make better choices in life. A new pride must develop with, with these new opportunities and we must fight against negativity, frustration, hopelessness, depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, crime, and violence. Okay, I get what they're trying to say with this. I feel this is the right. white appease clause. Right. I feel like this is the one that, well, let's appease Whitey and say that, you know, because a lot of this thing that is mentioned is there is due to fucking systemic racism. Right. Right. I mean, right. like, <laughs> like right. the despair, the drug abuse, the hopelessness, the frustration. I mean when you're dealing with constant systemic racism, of course, like, yeah. So I, I feel like this is one of those, like, how do we get whitey on board with this? And it's that, right. Way. Like, how well, do we get thing, white politicians to sign onto this? Oh, well, let's yeah. give him this one. You know, and my thing is he had said, here's generational trauma is like, come on, you're not going to be, then it puts on the black folks that so you better change right now. Now that we gave you all these things. Right. And it's like, that's just not how change happens. You know, Change does not happen overnight. You don't give somebody tons and thousands of dollars and then boom, they're, you know, they're making great choices, better decisions. Uh, right. So to me, this, the, you know, when you talk about, you know, this is a two-way street, let go of your, any bitterness in your hearts for past wrongdoings. So a police officer that rapes a female, she's just going to, oh, oh, okay. Right. I mean, well, and I yeah, even the sentence of their the George Floyd, the, the sentence of we must become better citizens. So you're you're leading with the assumption is that black people aren't better aren't good citizens now, right? Right. right. Like that's feeding yeah. into the the bias that that exists <laughs> and the stereotype that exists is that black people aren't good citizens. Like right. that's why I said I had to put some pressure on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And more productive on all levels. Okay. Let let me. How about let's talk about a black mother making ends meet every month. Let's talk about her productivity about level, right? Her yeah. pro productivity level level will shoot you out the water, right? Yeah. Ability to yeah. go to two, three jobs, put food on the table, pay the rent, do the bills, all these things, figure out how to survive on, you know, $750 for two weeks or whatever. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, and you want her to help with those, you know, do the homework don't, for the kids. Don't ask me, don't talk to me about right. productivity. Yeah. You know, so yeah, this one is, I, well, I think, my thing is, and the other thing was his thing about, you know, our entertainers should be persuaded to deliver more positive content. Come on, like, Ice, Ice Cube. Cube. Come on, Ice Cube. Come on, Ice Cube. Uh, that part. On. Let's stop, stop, Cube. Stop. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Stop. You, it's like you older cube, you know, you got all Just, these funds now you flush, you know, but when you were not flush and you were doing everything to make a dollar, come on, come on. You know, I really can't, uh, you bring up a really, really amazing point, Sylvia, because I, I can't help but think about this um, 
I can't help but think about what he's not asking and what he's not actually calling for, right? You know, mm-hmm. for everything, you know, I, for, for all the attention that he's kind of focusing on this notion of black responsibility, right? I mean, like, that's kind of the title. I want to put a pin in that because we're going to actually return to, to, this, to, this, to the title of this section right here because I think there's some disconnection that he actually has mm-hmm. ideologically going on between what he's saying and what it is that, that he's articulating. Um, but what he's not asking is for his audience, right, or for folks. He's not calling for the nation to actually elevate its consciousness, mm. to elevate or to expand its perspective of black joy mm. or what that looks like or a black mm. expressive culture. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. for example, when I think about the irony of Cube writing this, right, or being behind, mm-hmm. right, something, right, th- this particular, this 13th point. Yeah. When I think about Cube in relationship to the 13th point, I'm like, well, this is the man who actually made it very, very cool and acceptable for me to actually say FTPD, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. That's, you know, fuck the police. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You the dude who actually wrote that. And I was yeah. like, when the year I was born, low key, maybe a couple of years after. Mm-hmm. So, it, that that was definitely not acceptable when C. Dolores Tucker had your your tape, right? Tupac's tape. Yep. And like mad other artists, gangster rappers' tapes, right? Yep. And then steamrolled it right in front of, I forget exactly which building they were in front of, but just straight up steamrolled it right out in the middle of the public street. Like that right. wasn't cool back then, but now you're essentially laying out in this plan, right? And, and identifying as the 13th step, right? The 13th kind of point that we need to actually do in order to uplift black folks, right? Or in order to fulfill the contract with black folks. Now we got to essentially metaphorically do the same kind of steamrolling over the joy that we see these young folks actually expressing. Yeah. Whether right. or not they talking about what, whatever they talking about. Y'all talking about fuck the police. Mm-hmm. They talking about popping pills and doing lean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. They talking right. about wop, wop, wop. Right? There's some hoes in this house. There's some hoes in this house. (laughs) You you know, right? Come on. Now, look, you you made Players Club. Yeah, yeah. You gotta relax. You gotta relax, Q. Yes. And I I mean the soundtrack, Players Club. You executive produced that one right there. And that song that Tori is talking about is with you and Master P on there. Don't trip. I was doing it when I was a kid. Yes. Uh, Yeah, no. Overall, I'm going to say, overall, I like... I, it gives at least a starting point for having yeah. discussions and for really looking at, and I, cause we did that one story. Was it, where was it? Tori, was it North Carolina? One of them, the city was going to be doing reparations. Yeah, I think it was North Carolina and, actually, oddly, ironically. <laughs> yes. So they, they, you know, the city somewhere in it was That's some right. small city was going to be doing reparations yeah. and putting more money into black communities. Something and similar. Really, yeah. Like the investment yeah. into. Yeah. 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 And so for but, me, I'm like, I, li- I, I, I like the fact that there's some starting points to really yeah. sink your teeth into and right. for really for people to say, I think my, you know, um, I, I think my only, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm trying to look through the lens of other communities that are marginalized as well and how they would mm-hmm. fit into this, you know, where you're talking about 20% of, you know, 
programming on TV. And maybe that's how it, you know, for say Native Americans, would that mean, you know, that they would get a certain percentage of time as well, you know? Um, and I know this is a contract, you know, for, you know, black Americans to say, hey, this is, if you want our vote, this is what you need to work towards. Well, I think um, that there's, I, I think there's a piece of it too around this 20%, right? Like the media, let's yeah. take the media thing. And, and that, 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 cause it leads with race, right? So it's okay. Let's lead with the mm -hmm. race first because you, that's the mm -hmm. first thing we see, but it's not to say that some of that um, content can't be the intersectionality of black LGBTQ meaning trans uh, persons with disabilities, right? So all the intersectionalities that could also come into play when you're talking about content, right? So I think, I, I think it would, that, but guess I, what happens? I think it could guess, roll that guess in. What happens? We start fighting for the crumbs. That's what we've always done is you give us a little slice of pizza and we're going to be fighting each other for that slice of pizza while they got the whole other part of the pizza. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, but that's an yeah. I'm not saying, I'm saying you get your 20% and I, I you know, the 20%, I believe is based on the population. Cause he was doing 13 point whatever for everything else. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Then let's give 20% to native American folks too. And let's start cutting the pie that way. That way nobody's fighting over damn crumbs as they've always done to us by saying, you all take this little bit of land, you all divide it however you want, but we're going to take the rest is for us. Well, you know, I would actually say I, w I would be I'm curious, actually, <clears throat> because the 20 percent actually raises my interest. I'm wondering why 20 percent. That's like, you know, one fifth of, of all total time. Mm -hmm. So I'm I I'm not sure if he's actually linking it to, you know, like the population to like like match the population necessarily. Mm -hmm. But what I am actually curious about is this. When we think about black movies or black content that's produced either in film or television, mm -hmm. how often do we see a cast, right, that's strictly all black? That is to say, right, with, with, with no other people of color or folks from other cultures outside of African-American culture. How often do we actually see, like, mixed-race cast, mixed-race cast in black film and television content i can't think of anything <laughs> like i really can't like, like i'm like i try to cast. you know i mean even even like, like insecure right like even insecure say, like the majority is but you got that one white friend right, right. that's on it there's always and, a, a little white snow that comes you know in. so but that's probably the most that like i've been watched like that i've watched that i could say I yeah. Uh, maybe the Cosby's. Who was the white friend on the Cosby's? I don't remember one. Well, remember that the Cosby's spun off into a different world. That's right. true. Yeah. And then they had. And a different world had who in the season, first season? Maurice, that was Lisa Bonet. That was yeah. Marissa mm -hmm. Tomei, Tomei. That was Don Wells. That yep. was Sinbad, right? Yep. Yeah. That was a, 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 a good plethora, right? You had, uh, what's my girl who does all of the voices? Cree Summers, right? Uh, you had a wealth of uh, a strong prominence, right? They were at an HBCU, but mind you, they were at an HBCU. Right, right. exactly. And here you right. see Marissa Tomei, right? And yeah. you see all these other folks actually kind of move. I forget it. They had a, a it was, there was, there were more than, 
it was more than just Marissa Tomei who was like not necess- who wasn't African American on that cast. And they've always kept it diverse. You think about like blackish, right? Or mixedish, yep. right? Or grownish, right? Yep. Or you think about um, uh, uh, even let's take for example Spawn. That's not even a black movie, but that's a movie with the black superhero at the front, mm-hmm. right? Well, you could do Star violence. Trek. You could do Star Trek. Come on now, right? I mean, yo, Deep Space Nine, right? Yeah. Aliens yeah. Two, Discovery, right? You know, I mean, like we can go on and on there, right? You know, um, there's a variety of different like even kind of sitcom shows, right? That, that, that feature, when we're talking about black content, right? In mm-hmm. both film and television, here's what I'm curious about. I'm curious for academics or somebody who studies film and visual culture to do a study on representation, the diversity, uh, uh, diversity and representation in black television and film content, right? Mm-hmm. And hold that up by comparison, right? Or compare, compare it to traditional content that's pushed out in Hollywood. Yeah. Right? Matter of fact, it'd be great if we actually kind of did that based, you know, like from, from like, say, like, you know, Nollywood, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the different kind of ethnic groups and cultures that mm-hmm. actually have the booming and thriving film industries, right? And television content that they're producing. I'd love to see what a study like that would actually yield in terms of the representation of diversity. Yeah. Because yeah. that, I think, could actually be a foundational basis that could provide us with the logical foundation for that 20% yeah. that Cube actually gets us, right? Because if the case is, well, you know, m- the majority of black content in film and television represents or provides or, 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 or represents, right, you know, a diverse array of Americans re- relative to traditional Hollywood or traditional television and film content, well then that's when let's go with that 20. That 20 is cool. Cause mm-hmm. we're going to get more people on there. Yeah. Well this, but, but this is, it's requiring to air black produced content. Yeah. So that just means that you have a black producer. Right. right? So whatever is happening not, not on the show. Black stars yeah, or black cast, exactly. Right. Right. So like, right. So like Denise, um, um, I for, oh man, shoot. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking out on her last name right now, but, the producer behind Issa Rae's Insecure, mm-hmm. right, has been her producer from the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, um, oh, gosh, her first name is Denise, and I'm, I'm blanking on her last name. I'll look name, it up. Hold on. I'll look, so, well, you keep I'm talking. Saying, I'll look guess, it up. I guess my point would be, though, if we're, you know, to me, when you're doing 20% of Black produced, it means we want not only representation, but also opportunity for um uh, black producers or black filmmakers or black uh, markets or like yeah grips or no, no it, this like... would be content so what we're viewing would be produced at least so it would be like you putting together a show or a, a commercial or something um, but then to me it's like well where does that Native American person get their opportunity so to me, I see this as speaking about opportunity because it's so much of Hollywood or getting into um, uh, getting into television is blocked because one, if you come from a black lens or from a Native American lens or from a Latino lens, what we produce is always going to be what we envision. And if our vision is something that is familiar to us, that means we're going to be producing more content that represents 
us, right? So kind of, sort of. I, I'd have to kind of push back on that a little bit, and, and like, and Issa Rae would actually be my example of that because, like, if you actually look at her production team, diverse. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So like, so so like, I I would I would I would say because she actually is the kind of pioneer, especially both in front of the screen and behind the screen, she's actually articulating a new way of doing of doing business right in in film and television. One in which she's actually taking intentional and deliberate strides to be more inclusive. Yeah. Um, especially for folks both in front of the screen and behind the screen. That's why I said like she should kind of sort of maybe be like they should have her picture up there. Right. Yeah. Like, like follow this model. Content. If you need a blueprint on what yeah. this looks like, that that would be a blueprint to follow. Because yeah. But, then, uh, but her. But my thing would be so. There's only one though. I mean, when do you There's build opportunity? One. Yeah, when do you build opportunity for, say, somebody in the Native American community that wants to be uh, Isa, right? Well, would they so, get an so opportunity? I would, I, I would say, yeah, heck yeah, yeah, they could. As a matter of fact, so somebody who I'm thinking about, who's actually she's actually a she's a she's a brown sister. As a matter of fact, her name is uh, Sujata Day. Now, uh-huh. mind you, wait, let me back up just for a quick second. Yeah. Most of this information here I'm getting because I follow Issa Rae on YouTube. <laughs> okay, yeah. like she actually, and when I say that she intentionally and deliberately is making strides to, you know, be more inclusive and to show and to and and to make Hollywood more inclusive, she's putting that content out there that's laying out her blueprint on YouTube, mm-hmm. right? So uh-huh. that's that, that's part of what I mean, right? So like so so but. Getting back to to respond to your question, right? Sujata Day. So your question is right. Where does the opportunity for somebody right who's not black actually come in for them to gain access to mm-hmm. right some of that um, some of that recognition, right? So Sujata or opportunity actually, or opportunity, right? Yeah, um, definitely, right. So, so Sujata Day is an actress who used to star on. She starred in Insecure, I believe, like mostly like in kind of season one, season two. But also during the first or earliest iterations of uh, what became Insecure, but what was known on her YouTube series as uh, The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl, right? She Mm -hmm. was actually her best friend, Sujata Day and Issa were best friends, right, on that show. And that show, her YouTube, her web series content, was Mm -hmm. it it featured a, a variety of diverse characters. Sujata Day is now actually, she's still stuck with not not stuck with Issa, but I mean they've continued to work and have like an, an amazing, wonderful working relationship on through, you know, insecure. Sujata Day is now beginning to get recognition for a lot of the content as a director and also too as an actress, but really more so as a major force and fixture for brown women in Hollywood now. So there are opportunities and there are examples so where we I- actually see. Yeah, so I guess my question then would be if we have if we're very diverse, right? We're a very diverse community. Um why are we then thinking 20% is enough? It, you know, why not say 50% of the airwaves have to be produced by people of color or even LGBT or trans or you know, bring more diversity. Why? That's my point. Is why are I we sticking and squeezing everybody into just twenty percent? I got you because you said it already. This is a start, not the ending, and that's the difference. Issa is a start. Yeah. Right. Issa yeah. shows us a way. 
right? This plan right here is a start. 20% is a start, not where we end. And that's the reason why I would actually like kind of, you know, I, 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 would, I, I don't know about the 20% part, but I know that I'd like to know where he came up with 20%. Like, the, I, I'm with you. I just assumed it was, you know, because he kept referring to 13.4 of the population. Yeah. So I just rounded I, it up. It could be. It could be. I, I have zero clue. That's why I said that's probably yeah. the most, that's the part that I'm the most curious about. Yeah. Like, where is this 20%? I don't know about that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, thing it, oh, I, go ahead. I think, I think um, it, it's, it's like what you're all saying is that this is the door to open to like what you're saying, Sylvia, is okay, LGBTQ, they're going to have this present. Uh, you know, native, this, Latino, da, da, da. like we're going to start looking at equal representation across all the right. spectrum. And Absolutely. this is just a start. But we ain't going to be asking for 20 per We're going to be asking for 50% to include everybody in there. That's <laughs> well, what I'm saying. I mean, I think you, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm saying we ain't going to squeeze. No, I'm not 20%, saying 20%. And put no, everybody in there. I, 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 forget the that's 20%. The I'm saying yeah. is we look at yeah, no, all of these. That was my point. Yeah. We look at I all of you. these yeah. groups and categories and say, okay, duh, 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 you do the numbers. Then it right. breaks down to this, this, and this, but then ultimately 50% of the content is going to be from diverse populations. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, which, yeah, which is going to include all, you know, LGBTQ, Latinx, uh, black, indigenous, um, right. non-able-bodied, you know, um, all, all the social I, identities. All heterogeneous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's all mixed up. No, I'm with you. Yes. That's that is that is that's what we gotta get to. You know what I'm saying? Right. What, right. What, what did Drake say? What did Drake say? Started from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For real. But, but that's what I'm saying. I get. Uh, I because this he's very clear. This is a contract with Black America. It's right. not a contract with you know Latinx or uh, you know Native Americans. It so for and, but I'm also looking at it through the scope and lens of because I've always felt like if we can if it's led by race then yeah it all these things when you talk about police reform when you're talking about judicial reform all of those are going to affect all communities right you know it's not just going to affect black american communities yeah. and, and so i'm looking i was looking at it through those lenses and then this is where i just started being like okay so and for yeah. you all what about yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, you add ours? the you add the and and on it. You know, it's like yeah. this and you know, right? Like yeah. again, yeah. because otherwise it ends up into that. Let's fight all over the crumbs, and how come you guys get this and we don't? know. Exactly. Together we're gonna say, all right, yeah, you're gonna get yours, and we're gonna get ours, and they're gonna get yeah. theirs, and we're gonna even this shit out a little bit because right. for four hundred yeah. plus years it's been. And what I do, Don't I like pile. the, the per, I, right. I like the percentages. Yeah. So the percentages that he put on there was to the population that could be translated. So Absolutely. we could switch this thing up to say a contract with Native Americans or contract with uh, Latinx communities. Exactly. Yeah. And put in our population and all of these things. Yeah. And pretty soon, white folks are going to have to be competing for those dollars that were just given to them right. that they were kind of exactly. lifting their noses up to now. And Trump wouldn't be getting all those loans that he can't pay back. Right. Well, I like it. Put some respect on. Uh, yeah. Let me put some respect on 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 somebody's name right quick. Denise Davis. That was her name. Denise, Denise Davis. Davis. That's Issa Rae's producer. That's been her producer since 
I believe she started uh, um, um, the Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl back mm-hmm. when it was just a YouTube series uh, on on online. Yeah, she's actually somebody who's very again like going back to the the the, the point that 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 Sylvia is making right about you know seeing this kind of this kind of you know transformation this wholesale transformation of how folks are represented. She's somebody who makes intentional and deliberate choices about that. And I think that's probably why we end up seeing, you know, some of the diverse content really, especially coming out of uh, Issa Rae's uh, content, uh, Issa Rae's show that we kind of do. Yeah. I think both of them mm. like a little synergy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, y'all. All right. This was a good episode. Oh, but right. But we have... Uh, Damon, you have a story, right? Oh, you know what? I got something for y'all, but you know what? I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna make like a can I call it an audible right quick? Yeah, I, go I, for I, it. Your your conversation when we were going over these principles, right? And we kind of, especially when we went over that black responsibility one, and that one there, it kind of made <laughs> kid. If you're listening, That's making kid. you scratch your head. Right. You know, I ain't telling you where I live, Q, but I'll tell you where David lives. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, you know, the funny thing is I used to live right down the street from Q in his folks' house, man. He could find me very easily. Uh, I'm not oh. I'm, I couldn't hide if I wanted to. <laughs> he probably don't ever visit now with his black responsibility quote at the end. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but you know, but that thing right there, like we're gonna take the pen out of that black responsibility comment for a second because this doesn't read like black. This doesn't read like anything related to responsibility mm-hmm. at all. It reads to me kind of more so like a laundry list of respectability politics. Mm. The same respectability mm. politics that used to be that that like old heads used to use on Cube's generation of rappers mm. and MCs, right? Mm. So that's what this really sounds like to me. And it, so it, just, it had my brain scratching a little bit. And I'm like, wait a minute now, I gotta toss the other article that I had away for a second and get to some, some, some good nutrition or something or other. This is something I just really briefly, I wanna kind of just highlight what it is that Ice Cube is actually getting at, right? So we laid that context. But where, what, okay, so what alternative direction could we now begin to move in, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. Dane, so if not for all of this stuff here, where do we want to try to get more so towards? And really, I'm drawing this from um, uh, a professor, right? Her name, she's a sociologist, as a matter of fact, uh, here in South LA. She teaches over at Southwest Community College. Um, Her name is uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Christine Wright, and she has a book called uh, 360, A Blueprint for Black Self-Determination. And it's a fascinating book. It's actually, it's a really thin book. It's not that, as a matter of fact, here it is right here. It's not that, it's not that, it's not that thick. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, yeah. Maybe about like, not even a hundred pages, right? You can get through this in a, you know, a day, or if you like me, right, a couple days, I'm a slow reader. <laughs> or like me, four or five days. <laughs> right, for five days, right? It might even be a week, you know? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, you can get through this at a very comfortable pace. Yeah. And part of what I want to actually kind of highlight here is just real briefly, right? Something simple in terms of this concept of black responsibility responsibility refers to an individual's ability to be able to recognize the things uh, the ability to be able to recognize injustice as it occurs within the environment right one's immediate environment and also to one's indirect environments right and to be able to recognize how it is that one can begin to marshal a response to 
that injustice or to the disconnections or the disruptions that one recognizes that's occurring in their environment, right? Talking about mm -hmm. responsibility. Yeah. How do we begin to do this, right? So Christine Wright actually lays out a little bit of a blueprint for us. Matter of fact, it's a lot of bit of a blueprint. Right? She says, she's, she's speaking right specifically to black folks and allies. She says, right, first step, right? What, what she asks a question, right? It, it begins with the question, right? It begins with the question. Why? Because the path to understanding begins with self-reflection, right? We have to yeah. actually begin yeah. to reflect critically on our own selves and our own perspectives. Yeah. What are you doing to affect change? Simple question, right? Mm -hmm. That's one. What are you doing to affect change, right? This here is for black folks and allies, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Two, educate yourselves on issues, right? Yeah. Three, join at least one organization, right? Remember, we're talking about this under the larger umbrella mm -hmm. of responsibility, right? So That's based on I, my ability, yeah. right, mm -hmm. what can yeah. I do mm -hmm. in order to respond to all of this, all of this suffering that I see, mm -hmm. right? right? Laying this out for us. Sign Number four is sign at least one petition a month. Five is to be a conscious consumer. Six is to vote, especially in local elections. Mm. Yes. And seven, I want to end. I'm going to end on seven. I'm going to end on seven. She's got a few more here. I'm just going to leave it on up to, 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 to the audience to go ahead on and just tap on in with her book. And plus, I don't want to take up too much more of the time. But but number seven, right, never scapegoat other communities. The reason why I want to stop Come here is because now. that's exactly what that reads. That's yes. what this, this number 13 reads as. Yes. 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 What, yes. What, what was the name of the book again? 360, a blueprint for blacks, a blueprint to black self-determination. Maybe we need to give a shout out to Ice Cube. Dude, we read your 13 points. We liked them. But you need this book to end off. Maybe when we need to tweet him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's tweet Cube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll sign it Damon's name. <laughs> hey, that's cool. Professor you know Kag. It's all for educational purposes. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, and then if he comes by, you can be holding up his contract, dude. Be like, hey, hey. I'm holding hey, you the contract. I'm down with you. I'm down with you, Cube. I'm down with the contract. I'm down with the lynch mob. I'm down with all of it, man. Look, Cube, I'm an early Cube acolyte, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was great. I Because I, I think... Like you said, I like the fact that she is saying, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Not quit, stop doing. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that that's how she started that off. Because it's there's no judgment in it. It's mm -hmm. just saying, just stop and, and see how you're, what is your part in making change? Like, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's right. What's going on with you? I yep. gotta take care of the eye. I gotta take care of all my shit before yep. I can step out and, and try to tell other people. And know the issues and get into the politics of where yeah. you're living at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yes. the only way your change is gonna be affected. Yeah. Yeah, I like mm -hmm. it. I'm gonna get the book. I'm gonna get yeah, the book. I'm me gonna too. get it. I like it. I'm gonna yeah. do audio though. <laughs> Whatever. Go. Audio the, is the best. That's the best I, way to go. Sometimes. I love it. I love audio. Audio. I'm an audio book uh, subscriber. Yeah. Audio Libra file. Yeah. Yes. I'm yeah. Audible. I just signed up for yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Because I, I. Okay. So here's me. Because I like the conscious consumer piece of it too. Because yeah. that is. I mean, we vote with our dollar bills, right? Until there's some yeah. other form of exchange. <laughs> And some other form of money, which is probably not going to exist in my lifetime. 
we got to think about how are we spending our money? Who are we giving our money to? And, you know, and so uh, somebody had posted, a, what is it, bookshop.org, I believe it is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think I'll, I'll double check it, but it's in, it's a independent book owners, like where you can go and find a book and you're going to find, and it's going to be from an independent book owner. Right. So it's like, uh, nice. uh, like uh, an independent book owner marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So instead of going to Amazon and ordering off mm-hmm. of Amazon, you can go to bookshop.org and, um, look up and the it'll book find you pals. and it'll find you a place that's independent and you'll get it sent from there. And I bought my first that's book cool. from it today. Love and oh, Rage. What, cool. say, the, say, say the name of it again. Um, let me double book. check. I want to say, I, I want to make sure I get it right. If it's .org, um, let's see, bookshop.org. Yep, bookshop.org. Bookshop. Support local bookstores, shop online with Bookshop. And it's. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, and they also have like a, um, you know, the audio books you can then sign up and, and, um, it's so same like Audible, right? You can pay a monthly yeah. subscription, but it's not fucking Amazon because Amazon owns Audible. Oh, they Man. do. I yes, didn't you didn't know that. Oh, yeah, they that's do. Yeah, they do. Maybe that's why it was hard for me to unsubscribe. Yeah, of course it was. Yes, it's that's just exactly yeah. what. Yes, yeah, oh yes. I thought I had unsubscribed, and then I was like, "You got three credits." I was like, "Oh, okay. Let me go use my credits then." <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm going to have to unsubscribe now. Thanks, Tori. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying the conscious, how are you being conscious with your money? Because that is, that's a fact. Is it, how can you find little things like this? And I just found out about this like to yesterday, no, Day before yesterday or yesterday, I can't remember. And they Whatever. Do audible books on. They there have too? an audible. Uh, yeah, they have an audible. Section? Um, you can sign up, and it's called, um, shit, because I just signed up for it. And you can do the cool thing about their audible is, um, audible audio book. Cool thing about their audiobooks, I want to keep using audible because they're you know the, oh. the the what do they call them demon billionaires. Um, yeah. you know with audible you have to subscribe. And yeah. then you can't, you can't do the one off. They'll let you do a one off, right? You just want yeah. this book. You can just get that one book. So, I think Damon's frozen. Oh shit. I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully he'll come back on before, um, before we close out. I'll tell you the name of it though. Just a second. I just signed up for it. Um, oh, it's Libro, Libro FM. Le- oh, Libro. Libro. libro yeah. FM? Yeah. Like Libro. Like in, yeah. So it's, like uh, Libro. Yeah, and so you just, uh, it's the same. I, I, haven't, I haven't decided if I'm going to subscribe or just, like, buy one-offs one off or, or, you know, for a minute. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I don't tend to listen to a lot of audio now because I'm not commuting. I, I mean, yeah. when I was yeah. commuting, that's that was, like, my get through my commute. So, yeah. um, but I was thinking I, I wanted. Like doing it, I like listening to audio when I'm uh, doing crafts. Right. Like when I'm in my yeah. craft room. Yeah, I was thinking that, like, art and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah. because I want to, I want to listen to, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that Ooh, book, because I've seen the yeah. movie, but I've never read yeah. the book. And I thought, oh, I yeah. bet that'd be a good audio book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. So lib- Libro.fm, yeah. 
And uh, so check that out. Hi, welcome <laughs> back. We were just chatting while you were gone, yeah. talking about the audiobooks and everything. So you didn't miss much. <laughs> Man, I'm so sorry. My internet, my Wi-Fi keeps going in and out, and I Man, don't even understand. No need hey, should, to apologize. Hey, that should be put on the uh, the contract too. Better Wi-Fi service in our communities. Yes. Come on, man. Yes. No, no. Access no, to really. information for uh -huh. reals. For yeah. reals. Net yeah. neutrality yeah. has to be put back in place. None yeah. of them no mm -hmm. more. And fuck Comcast. They can't be the only person you can subscribe to because that's they're a monopoly. They're a monopoly. Yeah. But they yeah. can say they're not because there's other providers of you know, other providers, but none of them are available in certain areas. Like yeah. Like, yep. you know, I can't get this one because that's not available in my area. So I have to have Comcast. Yeah, Fuck because Comcast. you know what happens? The system will reset and it will be how much information we can stream to our own houses. Exactly. exactly. It already started. So yeah. when they took yep. away net neutrality. Yep. Man. Anywho, <sighs> people vote, 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 vote. Spend your money wisely. And, again. and yeah. first and foremost, do some fucking self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We well, thank you, Damon. It's always yes, educational to have you, thank Professor. Thank you all so much. I appreciate y'all for both, you know, allowing me to come on back on and speak to the people one time. I uh, really enjoy our conversation. This is actually, this is probably one of the most, it, it's Monday right now too, right? So I had all of my meetings on a Monday. This is probably the most intellectually stimulating conversation I've had all day. So thank you for that. <laughs> you know, to a, to, a, to a scholar, this here is gold. Right I, I, I really awesome. You too, ladies awesome. Right awesome. Um, uh, don't forget to wait, review, and subscribe. That's right. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell an enemy. Yeah, we don't care. Um. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for being on. Like, same. I love it. I love it when you're on because just gets me going. Gets me thinking. Uh, yeah, we so. learn. I learn so much. Yeah. So I appreciate same. it. Yeah. Same yeah. Here. Yeah. So, um, until next time, nos vemos. Adios. Peace. Daisy, Daisy, what's your safe word? What's your safe word, Daisy? <laughs>